Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, September 6, 843-661-0937. Our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. The well-traveled Royal Rev of Radio. <laughs> Burned the uh, interstate up. And yeah. you're know, proud of him, Josh. Oh, yeah. Good really? morning, No Shot, No Shot, Josh. You know why I'm proud of him? Why is that? Because he's not complained about the state of the interstates, uh, about the conditions oh, of the interstate. He's gone down get, to Florida. Don't get me and started. Back, and I've not heard um, many complaints. <laughs> I just I just decided so apparently everything's fine and dandy in the world of um interstate transport. No. Okay. It is not. So you know that this past weekend oh, okay, I okay, went okay. well okay. since you brought it up now, you brought it up. I went to Florida and From I, Margaritaville to Complain Land. And I yeah. that, that noise you heard was not a cold beer, but rather <laughs> a Celsius being opened up in the background. Um we're we're not in Margaritaville, but rather um hardworking radio. I'm glad you clarified. Uh when I was driving home, I was driving a truck told you I went to Florida to pick up some things, including some furniture. So I rented a truck and drove down to Florida this past weekend, drove back on Monday. And yes, when you get into South Carolina, something about the northbound I-95 right lane, it's like patched all the way from the state line up to the I-26 interchange. If you drive in that right lane, I was worried about it knocking stuff over in the back of the truck. So You'd move over to the left lane, but there was a lot of traffic out there on Labor Day, so I didn't want to block traffic and be one of those those blasted left lane bandits. So I'd move back over, and it would shake and rattle and roll you. But it's like that whole interstate from from 95 to 26 on northbound to right lane is just patched every, it seems like, every 100 feet. Okay, if you were in charge of uh, infrastructure in South Carolina, what would you make as a priority? Is it 95? I mean, is that the most important highway or byway that South Carolinians use? I mean, I understand if you're a Virginian trying to make your way into Florida. If you're a, uh, you know, a Washington, if you're a rich man north of Richmond, I understand <laughs> you're trying to make your way into uh, into Southern uh, America and you'd want a, um, a more adequate interstate system. But is that the priority? In other words, if you were Transportation Secretary of South Carolina, that would be uh, that would be in conjunction with the governor, the legislature, and whatnot. Where would you prioritize spending when it comes to infrastructure improvements, highway improvements? First, you make the feds pay for it. Okay. but If you can. Yeah. Um, I-95, absolutely, from at least the 26 interchange to to the Georgia border, needs to be six lanes, three in each direction. So I-95 is a thoroughfare, um, by and large. It's more important than the infrastructure required to adequately address the growth along the coast well do you feel like they've done that i mean they're they're making progress they're they're staying at least up with that maybe even trying to stay ahead of that understanding the growth it's like the i-95 growth they haven't taken into account and haven't you know made uh i don't okay fair enough i mean i'm not saying i know the answer yeah but that that's that's some of the decisions that will have to be made now 95 is an interstate that's a federal highway so you're right there'll be some There'll be a, there'll be more of an impetus by the federal government to be involved in the funding of improvements in relation to those, in relation to those, than there would be, you know. I mean, I got to believe if you're a, if you're a congressman from Montana, you understand the, um, ah, the the obligation you have as a federally elected official to fund the interstates and improve the interstates and continue to uh, maintain the interstates. If I'm a congressman from Montana. And somebody complains about the growth along the South Carolina coast, I would probably be in the camp of, well, let them figure that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a state issue. If they want to raise a gas tax and dedicate X number of funds to that, you know, I, I do believe 
that a congressman from Montana would understand the obligation he has to I-95. I would think so. He'd probably have a lot of problems understanding the obligation he has to addressing the the infrastructure inadequacy of the growth along um, the coast of South Carolina. I, I just feel like some of those, I mean, I've driven to the coast, I've driven to Charleston, driven to Myrtle Beach, these high-growth areas, and it seems like, although traffic is heavy, obviously. They're making an attempt. Yeah, I think that it's it's been addressed. I don't know that the Interstate 95 desperate need has been addressed. And I don't know how you address the coast of South Carolina. I mean, it's, it's almost like you, 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 build, you build roads to get people somewhere, and then they have to turn left or right because of the ocean. That's I mean, true. it's just a, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's almost like, okay, a percentage of cars are going left, a percentage are going right, a percentage are going straight. No. I mean, there aren't three options. When you get to the coast, everybody's turning left or right. Nobody's driving off into the ocean except the red Jeep during the storm. Remember that. Oh, yeah. But I'm um, other than that. Hey, yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about football and Jimmy Buffett. Um, I feel like we acquitted ourselves fairly well. So I thought about this morning. I mean, our, our listeners, I mean, I would imagine, are like us, interested in a lot of different things um, at a lot of different degrees. Um, but there was a, a story yesterday, and I don't know if you saw this or not. I don't have any idea what Tucker Carlson's up to. I mean, is he going to be uh, tabloid on Twitter? Is he going to go places that man has never gone before? But um, but but Wednesday, uh, that would have been yeah, that would have been yesterday. Today's Wednesday. Yes, I get my days T- mixed Tuesday up. Tuesday yesterday. Yeah, t- you know, because of Labor Day not being a work day, I get goofed up and a day <laughs> and a day behind. But how many of you have seen the interview that Tucker had with a gentleman who says, uh, "Have you seen it?" I I saw the highlights. Okay, or, let's or do shall this. I let's say do this. the the lowlights. Okay, well, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. Tucker on Twitter, right? I was surprised Tucker was the guy doing it. I mean, if this showed up on Twitter, I did, I, I'm just kind of surprised that, that Tucker would put it out there. Can you get us in queue, Josh? Because yep. I want to do this. We spent too much time yesterday on Parrot Heads, Gamecocks, and Tigers. <laughs> right? I mean, this is not a um, this is not Margaritaville. Um, this is not Gamecock Central. This is not Tiger Net. I mean, this is a show committed to political rumor milling. Um, so, so, so if we're going to go there, if we're going to make up, if we're going to make amends for yesterday, not be as focused as we should have been on the realities of politics, then, um, we'll, we'll go, we'll go there this morning and I want to get uh, your, your reaction. I want to get Josh's reaction. Josh, can you get us in queue? We're in queue. Here, here's Tucker Carlson 14 hours ago on Twitter already has 37.6 million views, 130,000 likes about 18,000 um, comments, 50, about 51,000 um, retweets. Here you go. Ready? Ready. Just a guy who's in town for the night, and it sounds like you're looking to party. Yeah. Pulled up in a bar outside, and there's this guy that's introduced to me as Barack Obama. I had given Barack $250 to pay for Coke. I start putting a line on a CD tray to snort, and next thing I know, he's got a little pipe and he's smoking. So I just started rubbing my hand along his thigh to see where it was going, and it went the direction I had intended it to go. Even though you had sex with him twice, you did cocaine with him, watched him smoke crack twice. You had no idea who he was. I had no idea who he was. He was asked the obvious question, what was Obama like on crack? Um, is, is it your sense that that's who Obama is, just transactional, or that he's bisexual, or like, what is this? It definitely wasn't Barack's first time, and I would almost be willing to bet you it wasn't as long. 
the guy's running for president and credible information comes out that he's smoking crack and having sex with dudes that seems like a story well it would be a story if the media really cared about telling people the truth yeah forget panheads gamecocks and tigers whoa wow (laughs) wow had you heard that josh i had not so your reaction is um, I mean, there's a full interview coming today. I mean, I think it's at six o'clock this afternoon. Um, it rest says publish. There will be a, um, a podcast Tucker on Twitter published with a person who claims he had sex with former president Barack Obama, a dude, a dude who said he had former. Yeah. That, you know, uh, well, what do you make of that, Josh? Um, I've got a theory, but I want you, I want to hear from you guys first. I'm not really at all surprised. I mean, I've heard this kind of stuff about him being gay for years. And you know, you know that that his wife's secretly a man and and whatnot. I don't I don't believe that one outright. They got kids, but, don't they? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's a term for that. I can't say on the air, but well, I mean, yeah, we can't and, have it, but we can't believe she's a man and they've got legitimate kids together, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if, we, we can't argue that only women have children. Unless unless it's a woman named Michelle Obama who's really Mike Obama. I mean, we can't argue that. Right. But that's an absurd argument to make. Um, But but your theory is what? I mean, why why this? Why now? I'm a I'm a little uh, confused that this is coming from Tucker, like you said, because you know he made such a big deal about uh, he had that one lady on talking about uh, the voting machines, and then she you know claimed to have proof and really didn't, and he got very upset about that. This seem it seems on the surface level like a step down. So, you know, if this were anyone, like you said, if this were anyone else, I'd be like, okay, okay, sure, sure. But because it's coming from Tucker, I'm kind of like, well, dang, what does this Coke dealer have to say, you know? Rev? I was surprised that Tucker did it, to be honest with you. And it does, I mean, the, the question comes to mind. Why would Tucker do this? You know, he's, he's got to be strategic in everything he's doing. I and mean, he's reinventing himself after being let go from Fox, right? So he has to set set the, the table for what he is doing and what he plans to do. This, to me, is a little out of character. I mean, because it is tabloidish. Whether it's true or not, it's tabloidish. But, but, but think of this. If historically serious people have operated with a certain set of guardrails and parameters, and they've obligated themselves to those guardrails, and... A former president's being indicted on RICO laws by a racist prosecutor in Fulton County and a racist prosecutor in New York and a racist prosecutor in uh, in Washington. Tucker's basically saying that now, now, once again, I'm speculating. I don't know this. I think Tucker's saying, okay, everything's fair game now. I mean, if if if, if we've taken the gloves off, we're taking the gloves off. I mean, you know, turn around is fair play. I mean, if you're going to indict a former president. A, a very popular former president, current front runner of one of our major political parties on RICO charges, and uh, and I'll say it by racist prosecutors in three separate places. Um, then we're going there. We're, we're, we're th- there are no limits anymore. That there are no boundaries. There are no safe spaces. There are there aren't places that remember. Thigpen said on this show uh, more than one time that you know there was a day that the media respected the private lives of politicians. Now, now, Thigpen would say, I mean, he famously said on this show, because I remember it, you know, JFK was a politician when politicians had long driveways. And the media accepted that part of their lives as being their own. I mean, it, it, you know, JFK had a right to do whatever it is he chose to do, and you've heard the rumors just like I have, 
right? I mean, the, you know, the uh, the philandering and the womanizing and all these other uh, the mistreating of females. I mean, that's not news. I mean, everybody's heard that in days gone by, but it was kind of whispered one to another. It was not on the front page of the New York Times. And I think what Tucker's doing is saying that Tucker knows that he has a, an unbelievable following. He is a, you know, he moves the meter in media today, unlike, I mean, Rogan moves it in that way. Um, but Tucker moves the media more, excuse me, moves the meter more than MSNBC, CNN, and Fox put together. I mean, he does. When you when you look at the number of views, I mean, he's in a he's in the digital town square. You know, there are more people going to Twitter now than ever thought about going to Fox, MSNBC, CBS, uh, put together. Um, and I think Tucker's basically saying, okay, I mean, everything's fair game. Everything's fair game. Get that white dude who said he had sex with Barack Obama who said they snorted coke and then they had sex with one another, get him and let's sit down for an hour with him. I think historically, Tucker would have said, I can't do that, man. I mean, I can't, because they would never indict a former president on RICO laws. All right? I mean, there's got to be some standard here. There's got to be some, I mean, I understand the tabloid says that, that you know, this woman had a, a sexual relationship with a Martian, and out of that came this baby, and the baby's going to dominate the world in the next 25 years. I mean, that's the nonsense that we've expected out of some of these tabloids. But, but I think, you know, indicting a former president, current front runner, front runner of a major political party on RICO charges by a racist prosecutor is pretty damn extreme. And I think Tucker really says to himself and whomever he entrusts uh, some of those responsibilities to, let, let's show them what extreme really is. Find the white guy who said he's snorted coat with Barack Obama and eventually had sex with Barack Obama. I mean, let's, let's, you know, I mean, the media has uh, portrayed Obama as this larger than life, you know, generational political figure. Let's, let's ding him. I mean, let, let's, let's show that he may be a, he may be a homosexual drug addict. I mean, I'm not saying Barama is, or excuse me, Barack Obama is or is not. I just think Tucker is deciding now that everything's fair game. There is no guardrail. There, there is no expectation you have to be treated a certain way. And I think he's right, because at the same time, and I was thinking about this coming uh, over this morning, but I read a couple of articles yesterday. Jeff and I got into it a little bit toward the end of the show about what Brian Kemp's doing in in Georgia, uh, what some of the General Assembly wants to do in Georgia. But they basically want to withhold funding and impeach uh, Fannie, uh, take a load off Fannie Willis in in Fulton County, and Kemp's saying, I'm having no part of that. I mean, not on my watch. I mean, we're not going to add you know, nor abnormality to the abnormal. We're, we're just not going to put more kerosene on the on the already um, lit fire. Um, now, now, some would say, see there, told you. Told you Kent was not one of us. You know, he's one of them. And this does kind of um, solidify that judgment, so to speak, when Kemp said, you know, no to the General Assembly. Now, I don't know who wins that tussle. Jeff's convinced Kemp does. I'm not. I'm not convinced Kemp carries the day in what the General Assembly can or cannot do. In fact, I sent a copy of an article from the New York Sun yesterday to Lowe, Rickenbaugh, and Jordan because I've accused the General Assembly in South Carolina of having too much authority. You know, they, they have an outweight. They have an out. In the co-equal branches of government, they have, um, you know, their their influences, um, and it, it outweighs that of the governor. And I would argue uh, the legislature has more influence on judiciary because who picks the judges in South Carolina? So they kind of sort of aren't co-equal branches of government, and um, and I don't think Lowe would mind me. He said, yeah, now, now you're an advocate for, you know, the General Assembly having more influence in, in said state. I just think that's a, um, I mean, it's obviously a shock piece. 
I mean, it's Howard Cern comes to Twitter is what it is. I mean, nothing is off. Bang. But I think it's, I mean, I think it's Tucker's way of shooting across the bow saying, okay, I mean, if, if we're going to normalize indicting a current front runner, former president on Rico charges in a place that you know, he's not going to get a fair trial, but I mean, there's no way Donald Trump gets a fair trial in Fulton County, Georgia. I mean, there's just no way. And they know there's no way he gets a fair trial. Then let's, you know, let's, let's turn around as fair play. Now, but if there is a rumor out there that most of us have, um, you know, I'm tiptoed around and soft pedaled around and didn't want any part of get that guy on the on the phone. Let's fly him in and sit down with him for an hour and find out what he has to say. That, that's just, I mean, once again, I'm speculating. I have no idea if that's what Tucker's intent is. I don't have any idea how much Tucker's team vetted this guy. I mean, is he believable? Is he credible? I don't know. I don't have any idea, but I think Tucker says it doesn't matter. I mean, it really and truly doesn't matter. Once again, if you're going to indict a former president in this country of 245 years, we've never indicted a former president. We're now on our fourth indictment, and the one in Fulton County, Georgia, was kind of the epicenter of voting shenanigans, many of us believe, and we're going to do it on RICO charges in a place that Trump, just there's no way gets a fair shake, then, I mean, let, let's, let's open that can of worms. And let's watch, you know, if, if, if Trump's team's got to squirm a little bit, let's make the Democrats squirm uh, just a little bit. Who's still the most popular Democrat in America by far? I mean, who do we Barack believe Obama. is kind of sort of running the country? Um, it's the Obama acolytes. And I think Tucker says, well, let's hit them in the, let's hit them in the, uh, in the, you know, in the mouth. I mean, let's hit them right between the eyes. Hmm. They're coming after our 800 pound gorilla. Let's go after their 800 pound. The two most dominant political figures in America today, despite neither being president is Barack Obama and Donald Trump. I mean, it's hard to argue they aren't right. I mean, when you've got a president who really doesn't know he's president, uh, but about half the time, it's hard to say he is the, the most consequential political figure in America. Did you see um, Biden yesterday at some one of these um, medal oh, the the ceremony? Yeah, the ceremony to give somebody the the Medal of Freedom or whatever it is. One of these highly I saw that. decorated um, veterans came in and they awarded him some distinguished guy. And Biden just kind of walks off. It was a very emotional thing. I mean, the gentlemen were standing there just he left my man with hanging. Yeah, he he. I think he did. He finish his remarks and he was supposed to sit down for the the closing. Uh, remarks. There was a benediction to be benediction, made, yeah. and, and, and the gentleman was going to make some marks and a benediction. And before the remarks, before the benediction, Biden just kind of walks off. I mean, in the it's, it's like on the television set he was, you know, when he when he just gets up and they're not in a commercial break. He yeah. just gets up and starts kind of you know wandering around in the in, in the backdrop somewhere. But anyway, um, tonight at six o'clock, a man who claims he had you know um, drug induced sex with Barack Obama. In 1999, guys, that's only nine years before he got elected president. I mean, it's not 100 years ago, but he tells his story. Uh, Tucker on Twitter, that's tonight at 6, and we just played a teaser, and I've got no idea why Tucker's doing this. My opinion is, okay, anything goes now. And if anything goes, what what is the old saying? If the rules are there are no rules, you better play by the rules better than anybody. And I think Tucker's kind of setting the example of where our side probably needs to start paying attention. Mm-hmm. Take a break. Back in a few moments. The tweet of the day this morning is, by the way, Tucker didn't kill himself. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. no. But, but no, I mean, that, that's just a theory I'm offering up. Um, 
who is the loudest or who has the biggest mouthpiece on our side? I mean, did that. Tucker. I mean, it's Tucker. I mean, Tucker has the biggest voice. Even biggest, though he got fired from Fox well, News. He, he's, he's the he's bigger. Um, he moves the meter more in America first than anybody. I mean, he's got a larger following, um, is more provocative than anybody. And something tells me that this is very intentional. Um, I mean, the Politico's already doing a story that this man is not trustworthy. I mean, he's got a rap sheet. Discredit the accuser, of course. I, I don't have any idea. I mean, I, I don't know if this guy's telling the truth. And I don't know that Tucker knows if he's telling the truth. I don't know that Tucker cares whether this guy's telling the truth. I think what Tucker is doing is reacting to this new normal way of conducting business. And and once the, once the liberal, um, I don't know, once the Democrats in America decided to indict a former president, not once, not twice, not three times a lady, but four times, um, and the fourth being on RICO charges at a place they know he'll not get a fair trial, I think Tucker said, not what Brian Kemp said, I think Kemp says one thing, and Tucker's kind of the, um, just the opposite of what Kemp wants to do. Kemp wants to keep it, you know, above the fray. You know, you know, when when they go low, we go high. Isn't that Obama? Didn't Obama say yeah. that? I mean, when they go low, we go high. Uh, we keep the um uh, the morality, virtue, and integrity of the situation always as the priority. And Tucker basically says, "Nope, uh, I don't think we get anywhere like that. Let's um let's get them as uncomfortable as they're trying to make uh, the right." Now, now once again, is this a dangerous, volatile powder keg? You know, um, setting a field of um, hay on fire, yeah. I mean, no question about it. But isn't that kind of what we wanted? I mean, it didn't. It didn't I mean, that, well, once again, let me ask Josh again. And I want to ask Rev. Do you care if Tucker vetted this guy and found it to be trustworthy or not? Do you care about that? I mean, this guy said this is not the first time he said that. This is the first time he's been allowed to say that. Well, on a on a platform as large as Tucker's. I mean, he said some of these things before. Um, this, I think his last name's Sinclair. I mean, he said some of these things before, but it's been so out of the main. It would have been on Alex Jones' website, you know, and that, that would be considered fringy and conspiratorial and all these other sorts of things. I'm asking Josh this. So Tucker allows this guy to make this claim or this accusation to Rev's point on the largest forum America First has. Do you care? If Tucker made an honest attempt to try and get it right, I mean, is that does that, or, or are you for him a, a little bit unvetted, a, a, accepting this guy has a a sordid past? Are you okay with him allowing that guy to come on the largest show in conservative world and say these things that are uncorroborated? I am okay with it. I think that basically what this does is it almost. Uh, verifies what this guy is saying, which speaks to Tucker's credibility. So when I see Tucker Carlson having this guy who's claimed he's had gay sex with Obama, it makes me go... Gay high sex. Yeah, it goes... Uh, it makes me go... Don't leave hmm. that out. <laughs> it makes Jeez. me go, hmm, maybe, maybe there is some credibility to what this guy is saying. Uh, I think the left is looking at it as, oh, this is Tucker throwing himself under the bus. But I think... What could be happening is Tucker is having this guy on to uh, either boost this story that he find it, finds credible up or boosts his own credibility up by having this guy on and going, and, you know, if he just says these things, he's like, well, can you prove it? And then if the guy can't prove it, then he's going to put the guy down. 
So that's the two ways I see this potentially going. Okay, Rev. I mean, is is it part of a new playbook at how to address the ah uh, the the, uh, the imbalance? I hadn't uh, I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, again, I told you when I saw that yesterday, I was like, wow. And why Tucker? And why now? And I didn't make that. Had connection. you ever heard of Jerry Sinclair before? No. Had you ever heard of a rumor? Or, you know, a, have, you, have you ever heard the rumor that Obama's gay? Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, we've heard that. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, he's a public figure. I mean, people make up right. things about public figures all the time. But, some but, have legs. Some don't have legs. I'd prefer Tucker to have vetted him to some degree for Tucker's own credibility. Because if he puts this out there and maybe mission accomplished based on your analysis, which is pretty good. I, and I did not at all think that's the answer of why he may have done that. I mean, and it may be a true story, and he's just getting it out there. But Good. regardless, um, does for, it matter for if his it's credibility? A true story? Does it matter if Obama engaged in in illicit drug use and homosexual relations um, nine years before he became president? Other than the fact that it was covered up, you know, so he could could go on to do what he did. You know, that's that's the part where the media never vetted him like they do other candidates. That is concerning. You know, what he did in his private life, I don't care. But you would agree that Obama is still somewhat of a movement leader. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, 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 and Trump would be a movement leader. So if the political left had decided anything goes, no holes barred, there are no guardrails, there are no, um, you know, th- th- there is no bounds of which we have to stay in when we go after Trump. And if we got to indict him on Rico, that's what we do. And, and, and once again, I think Tucker said, okay, who is their most prominent figure? How can we disparage their most prominent figure? How can we make them play defense? Now, they're going to play defense, and they've got a lot more allies than we do. I mean, Politico, I tell you, Politico got the memo. Politico's running a story this morning about this guy's past, and it's deceitful, and it's dishonest, and all these other sorts of things. I, I'll be honest with you. I could care less whether it's true or not. I could care less whether it's accurate or really? not. But it doesn't matter to me at all. Not, not even if, if Tucker's the, credibility is I mean, on the line? Well, I, mean, I think to his credibility, to that point, yes. But but as far as changing the game, operating in a different realm, right. I, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, I, I am 1,000% for it. They are trying to put, and this is the first morning I'm, I'm willing to say this, they are trying to get Donald Trump off the ballot in Pennsylvania. I mean, that's what this is all about. I mean, the 14th Amendment. There's been an evolution. Can we convince? Can we convince Republican voters to make Trump their nominee? Because I think we can beat him. And then you indict, and you find he's more supported. And you indict again, you find he's more supported. So, so in the evolution, we've gone from we want Trump to be the nominee because we believe he's the guy we can most likely beat. To I'm not sure we can beat this guy, and we can't risk not beating him. We, we just can't take that chance. So so we've indicted, and his numbers went up. We indicted again, his numbers went up. We indicted again, his numbers went up. The third indictment, his numbers went up with independence. I think that was the moment in time that the political hired hand said, wow, I mean, th- this is really. And Donna Brazile said on Stephanopoulos' show Sunday morning, the first time I've heard any Democrat say, hey, this is to be taken unbelievably serious. I mean, for a long time, it was. Let's let this crazy nut be their nominee, and they'll get exactly what they deserve. Two, 
this crazy nut's got a lot more support than we ever imagined and is deeper and more intense than we ever knew. And it might be growing. It might be getting larger. I'll give an example. Um, three polls came out yesterday. Morning Consult, Harris, um, and the Economist YouGov poll, Trump 44, Biden 43. Biden 43, Trump 42. Biden 45, Trump 44. All within one percentage point of one another. All obviously within the margin of error. Biden 43, DeSantis 39. Biden 45, DeSantis 40. Biden 44, DeSantis 39. What, what, what have I said? There are going to be Trump voters who aren't going to vote for anybody but Trump. That poll clearly shows that number's at about 5% today. Now, we've argued 30 turns into 20. I still believe it's more than five. I mean, I, you know, the, 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 the Economist YouGov poll says five. The Morning Consult poll says five. Uh, there's a Harris and a Fox poll. It's actually four polls. And in those polls, Trump and Biden are running in a dead heat. DeSantis is about five points behind. So, so there's that five percentage point. I mean, I think it's more than that. And I think in some of these swing states, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and I'm speculating again. But, but, but I, I, just, I just think right now, the Democrats are, are deciding whether or not to try and get Donald Trump off the ballot in Pennsylvania. I think they believe that's the state most likely to be in play, that they just can't risk him winning uh, the election again. And I love these liberals squirming because, you know, for a long time, it was Trump can't win. I mean, there's just no way for Trump to win. Nominate him if you'd like. You know, it's, it's got to be Youngkin. It's got to be some of these other moderates. It's got to be DeSantis. And, and now I think they've decided, wow. But there's nothing that we've tried that that creates, you know, disloyalty between Trump's base and America firsters. And, you know, once again, this is anecdotal, I'm sure. But the the eight or 10 or 12 people in my world that I use as kind of by case studies, and eight of the 12 have told me in the last month, and they're going to make me vote for Trump again. They're going to make me do something I said I would never do. When I voted for Trump in 20, and he started all that nonsense about the election was stolen. I made a commitment, a solemn vow to myself that I'm not voting for this guy ever again until now. So, so if eight of 12, if, and I, I think the other four are just embarrassed to say it, but these are, you know, sometimes Trumpers. They're not never Trump. They were never Trumpers before the indictment started. They were never Trumpers before, you know, a Happy Meal costs you $13 and a gallon of gas costs you $4. They're not quite as never Trumper as they were, and I think you're beginning to see. Now, the polls clearly show some of the Hispanics and African-American male vote kind of moving over to a lot of the working class, and I think the Democrats have terribly misplayed their hand. It's a divided nation. I mean, it's not going to be Reagan of 84. I mean, nobody's arguing with that. I'm not saying, I mean, Trump says we'll win overwhelmingly. No, nobody's going to win overwhelmingly. It's going to be a, uh, a dogfight. I mean, it's going to be a closely contested election, but I think right now, and I would pay close attention to Pennsylvania because I think the Democrats are going to b- begin to create a narrative of, you know, inciting an insurrection, the 14th Amendment. It prohibits him from running for federal office, and they're going to try to get him bounced from the ballot in Pennsylvania to not even have to risk whether he's um, convicted, whether he's eligible to run, whether some of the um, some of the independents move over or not. That's where I think um, we're headed. 843 843- Six six one zero nine three seven. Let's go to the phone. Then we'll take a break. Good morning, Breeze. You are on. Let me tell you guys, I am certain that Trump. I 
me put it this way. I wouldn't be surprised if Trump won a fair election. I would be amazed if Trump won the presidency. I, I think that they would do whatever is necessary to keep Trump from being the next president of the United States, up to and including killing him. There's no doubt in my mind of that. I would be amazed if Trump, if I'm not, if I'm not right on that, I am certain that Trump will not be president because they will do whatever it takes to him not be president. I'm just certain of that. I will be very amazed if I wake up and Trump has got his inaugurated as president, and if he does become president, I am always certain they will kill him, just like they're doing any any, any dictator. Anytime you try to overthrow a, overthrow the government from from democracy to communism, that's what they're doing. So that 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 I'm certain of that. I'd, I'd be amazed if he made it through four years. I'm telling you right now, if Republicans are, are involved in with with the Democrats. They won't face, they don't want Trump to be president. I'm telling you right now, half of the Senate, half of the House of Representatives that are Republican don't want him to be president. I'll, I'll promise you. Now, as far as the say with Barack Obama, how does that hurt him, kid? I don't think it hurts him one bit. You're talking about a bunch of racist, godless, fascist, Democrat, communists, and then to find out that their poster boy is gay, boy, that even made, that made that right there will make them even more proud of him. That does not hurt Barack Obama. That snorting a little cocaine, smoking a little crack, hey, that just even put him up even higher in Hollywood elite ties. So I don't see where having a, a report that Barack Obama had gay sex with a guy snorting a little coke hurts him one bit in their eyes. Being gay is not a bad thing for anybody in the Democrat Party. I mean, that just elevated them to their god even further godlike status to them. Hold on to that. we got to take a break. Don't want to get too far behind. I, I don't disagree with what Bree said. Being gay and using drugs, I mean, that's not the end of the world in today's climate and culture. But being exposed. I mean, if Barack Obama's proud of being homosexual, why doesn't he tell people he's a homosexual? I mean, I'm not saying he is or is not. Please understand. What The point I'm trying to make, guys, is for years and years and years and years, we said that the majority of our leadership took it and didn't dish it out. And I believe that Tucker Carlson has made a decision that anything goes. And if they're willing to indict a former president, current front runner on Rico laws at a place that they know he'll never get a fair trial, then let's, let's get after them a little bit. Let's watch them squirm a little bit. Um, how does it play? Don't know. Um, d- does it hurt him politically? Don't know. Um, you know, he's portrayed himself as a family man. And I think even Joe Biden said he was clean cut, <laughs> right? I mean, that's Biden's words, not mm-hmm. mine. I mean, how insulting is that to African-Americans? But that's a Democrat. And Democrats can say things like that and get away with it. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Charles still there? Uh, Want to make sure we're respectful of his time. Hey, Josh, you'll have to put him on the hybrid. Mine's not working for some reason. If you can, but I think All Charles still there. All right. Give me a sec. Here he is. Charles, you there? I'm here. Okay. The floor is yours, my man. I just wanted to comment on I-95. We go camping. I have a camper. take the grandchildren camping a lot. I-95 is a horrible experience if you're towing 10,000 pounds. And, in fact, I belong to a number of online groups of campers. And one of the topics (laughs) – 
regularly is how to get through South Carolina from north to south without going on I-95. <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, those uh, those tires that come on these things are not designed for those kind of potholes. And so there's all kind of uh, direction sending people side routes uh, to stay off of 95. I, I just drive 95 and run about 55 or 60 miles an hour. Make everybody mad, but uh, but I don't worry about my tires. I-95 needs to be a priority. It needs to be three lanes in each direction from the Georgia line, at least to I-26. If you're blindfolded um, and you are coming from Savannah north on I-95 and you have no visual indication of anything, you can tell when you cross the state line, and you can tell it for about an hour. So uh, it's a major problem. Charles, is it, have... do, you, do you feel, I mean, in all seriousness, when you're pulling that camper, you're experienced at pulling the camper, is it, I mean, when you get over 60 miles an hour, you sincerely believe, I mean, this isn't hyperbole, you believe it's a, it's a safety issue. You just don't feel safe pulling that camper over 60 miles an hour. Oh, I do pull it over 60 miles an hour on 95 North um, on on Highway 38 when you get off Atlanta and go toward the beach um, on I-20. I don't have a problem running 65 or a little more, but on I-95, no, I run about 55 or 60. Because you believe it's sincerely a safety feat, I mean a safety issue. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. And I'm See telling you, I something about that northbound lane, if you're driving from Georgia, and, and Charles is right, from Georgia to the I-26 interchange, for some reason the right lane, and I guess it's more heavily traveled in most cases, but it is patched like every few feet it seems like. So you're getting bounced around, and I, I had that truck I was driving on Monday, and it was I was afraid that the load was getting you know, things were breaking back there. I mean, it's just bad. And then you hit a big hole that you didn't see. <laughs> They have to do something. Yeah, I mean, it, right. It's not just a convenience factor. It's a safety issue is what Charles, and that's what I wanted him to express. It's not just um, you're making my life less convenient. You, you're actually, you, you're creating an unsafe condition. If someone, I mean, Charles is talking about being experienced and knowing better than to try to run 65 on that particular stretch of road, but some people don't know any better. So they're driving down that road, assuming it's going to be like in Georgia, like in North Carolina, and it's not. You create a, a big safety issue, and you know someone pulling a camper uh, has a bad, bad wreck, and someone loses their life, and who's culpable in a situation? In the first issue, um, like that in Georgia, again driving northbound, coming towards South Carolina in Georgia, where it it shrinks down from three northbound lanes to two, so you have to merge, and if there's heavy traffic. Then you get that slowdown at that point, and it's only two lanes, of course, all the way through South Carolina. But talking about I-95 and its um, its issues is not anywhere near as intriguing as talking about a president, uh, a former president, because we're talking about former presidents, right? Former presidents inciting an insurrection, former presidents stopping the transition, uh, the peaceful transition to power. Mm -hmm. uh, why aren't we talking about former presidents when they were senators, maybe um, involved in you know drug use and homosexual uh, activity? It, it, you know, once again. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are members of Congress who are homosexual. I'm sure there are members of Congress who have used illicit drugs. I'm sure that. I mean, I, you know, I don't have the goods on anybody, but I got to believe in that body of, of people. I mean, there's some folks in the closet, so to speak, when it comes to drug use or, or homosexuality. Not bothered by that. What, what I am bothered by is this double standard. Our unwillingness to fight fire with fire. 
And my theory is tonight at 6 o'clock, Tucker Carlson is giving a guy named um, Larry Sinclair uh, the largest forum anybody can be given in conservative media. And Charles said earlier, you know, Sinclair's made these claims on multiple occasions. I've got a bit here of him doing it under oath when he says, you know, what exactly happened between he and former President Barack Obama. The media chose to not cover it. You can imagine why. Um, he's somewhat of a hero and a, um, a standard bearer for the American political left. Um, but but the, the moment that, and, and I do believe Tucker kind of decided this, and I, I don't know Tucker Carlson, uh, don't have a cell phone number, don't text, don't email, don't correspond. But I think that Tucker would be the kind of person in his life at this moment who says, you know, nobody's going to do this the way I can do it. So let's introduce this guy to the mainstream. Let's allow him to tell a story. Why? Because we've got a former president on the political right that is being indicted for RICO charges in a place that he knows he's not going to get a fair trial. So once again, if there are no rules, then let's play by the rules better than anybody else. And I think that's what Tucker is uh, is intending to do, um, to kind of just change the rule book. Historically, we don't do these things, right? I mean, you got to vet these guys. There's got to be corroboration. There's got to be a lot of evidence, compelling evidence, before you make these these accusations. Well, apparently, it didn't matter to Fonnie Willis. It didn't matter to, um, I think her name is uh, Chutkin in, uh, in Washington. It doesn't matter much to Alvin Bragg. I mean, in fact, two of those three said, if uh, given the opportunity, if you'll elect me as a prosecutor, I'm going after Trump. I mean, they said it in their campaign spiel. So why do you not expect them to do what they said they're going to do? If given the opportunity, I'm going after Trump. And I think Tucker says, well, um, one ripping of the Band-Aid off deserves another ripping of the Band-Aid off. If they're going after, you know, I guess the political right's 800-pound gorilla, then let's go after the political left's 800-pound gorilla and make him appear to be not exactly who he's told us all these years he is. Let's go to the phone. Richard in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. I don't I don't want to get off to what you're talking about, but I wanted to reiterate what Charles was talking about. I have a camper also, and I take 378 all the way to the beach several times a year. And that, especially from Lake City through the Pimpico Park and Hannah, all the way up to the hot spot, all the way up, it destroys a camper. Those roads are the most ridiculous roads I've ever drove on in my life. And I know you know some of the representatives from that area. Maybe they could do something, but and that's a highly traveled road from people in Sumter going to the beach. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Um, but they, they've tried to explain themselves on Friday morning, the priority of spending. You know, when you go to Greenville, there's enormous construction happening. When you get along the Grand Strand in Charleston, there's enormous construction happening. There's not a lot happening in some of these, I, I don't want to say back roads, because they're certainly not back roads. I mean, anything leading to the beach is not a back road, right? I mean, that that would be a, I mean, it, we, we got these evacuation routes, and we got hurricanes and all these other sorts of things. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about two or three or four roads that would be considered if, if they weren't, uh, I'm, I'm talking like a local here. If they weren't on the way to the beach, they probably would be considered, um, back roads and, you know, um, three months, four months, five months of the year, they are somewhat back roadish, but the other six months of the year, they become unbelievably busy with the kind of traffic Charles and this gentleman 
are talking about people pulling campers and motorhomes and whatnot, trying to make their way to a vacation destination. Um, you know, I don't know how the money's allocated, spent, collected. I mean, I know we voted for a gas taxes to be incrementally increased over, I think, five years. That revenues to go address some of the infrastructure issues in our state. I don't know where we are in regards to that. I don't. I don't know if you can hold Low Jordan and and Rickenbaugh accountable for how the money's being spent today. I mean, obviously they're responsible for voting for the tax increase, no question about it. But they, they you know, they believed we needed extra revenue or additional revenue to maintain our roads and bridges and infrastructure, and they voted for it. But once that money gets into the coffers of the state government, who allocates? Who prioritizes? Who makes those? decisions is it the transportation secretary in conjunction with the governor is it the governor and you know you see where i'm headed i mean there's somebody making the decisions to say hey we're doing this road before we do that road but who makes those decisions and it's not the general assembly can some senior members of the senate lobby whomever is making those decisions yes i mean i would imagine that's the case i mean if you've got a senior senator from x you know town and he goes and says, hey, I really need, you know, this road to be, a, I mean, prioritized. It needs to be moved up the list some way, somehow. But I mean, that's that's politics. I mean, that happens. And you're a fool if you don't believe that happens. But who decides once the state collects that money, how that money is spent? I don't know. And maybe that's a good question. And maybe we could get somebody to come on the air and explain from the state's perspective, you know, how they decide to spend all this extra money you know, to improve the infrastructure and who gets to make the call. Let's go to the phone. Liston and Dylan. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Uh, my question is this. Uh, from my understanding, the Constitution is supposed to be the base law of the land. And pretty much any law that has been written since that that contradicts it is supposed to be null and void. Is that correct? We are, a, we are a republic guided by the Constitution. I mean, that's what our founders intended, and that's what the majority of our elected officials have tried to adhere to. Some not so much, but, but most of us who have ever served in office believe that adherence to the Constitution is something that you can't take lightly. Well, my question is this. Uh, on the January 6th, the people that they're trying to prosecute for everything, were they not following what the Constitution said? When you have a tyrannical government, it is your responsibility to, to, to do something with it. I mean, how do you prosecute for something that the Constitution gives you the ability to do? Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I don't think the Constitution gives you a right. I understand uh, the, the, the tyrannical government. I mean, that would be subjective. Some people don't believe we have a tyrannical government. Some people do. Um, the right to redress your grievance. Peaceably you know, assemble. Uh, peaceably assemble. But there's not, I mean, it's hard to argue that everybody was peaceful. Right. There, there was some breaking and entering. There was some vandalism. And that's, I mean, what, I understand that. I mean, the, the, the struggle I have is it's the people's house and you're charged with trespassing. Well, there's that an orderly weird. way that you enter and exit a building that you don't own. And I understand, well, I, you know, it's the people's house. I do own it. You don't own it exclusively. I mean, it's not your private residence. So, so your rights have to be counterbalanced with Josh's rights. And I, and I doubt Josh would say, yeah, I'm for kicking the door down. You know, I'm for busting the windows out. I mean, I do believe that those people violated the law. And I think they should be charged. And I don't think they should be in prison. Yeah, they shouldn't I, be charged with sedition and insurrection. Yeah, I mean, sedition, and, yeah, I mean and that, things. That, that's absurd to right. say that. I mean, you know, 
I mean, if if they were there, to inc- if they were there as insurrectionists, they would have had weapons. I mean, if they were honestly there, and I believe this, I think there's a difference in disrupting, and you know, uh, I think there's a difference in objecting and disrupting the peaceful transition of power or transfer of power and just stopping it from happening. I mean, that that to me, that's an insurrection. I mean, if you hold up with guns and weapons and have hostages and say, under no circumstance are we coming out alive, we're going to stop this government from, you know, um, certifying the election and allowing Joe Biden to be sworn in, that's an insurrection. Um, That's happened in the world. I mean, it's happened in many crazy places around the world. What they did was disrupt a proceeding. I mean, I, I think they broke the law. I think they trespassed. I think they, um, uh, you know, I'm kicking doors down and busting windows and buildings you don't own. I mean, there's got to be some law against that. But it's not inciting an insurrection. It's not acting as an insurrectionist. But but when you redress your grievance, you don't have a right to do it that way. So I do believe that there's some legal culpability to these people. And I think Rebel would agree to that. I mean, you can't, you can't just show up, I get do. mad, and kick doors down. I mean, you just can't right. do that. I mean, I understand the frustration. I understand the mindset of a tyrannical government. I understand that a lot of Americans believe that the government got what it deserved January 6th. But, but there's, there's got to be some quantifiable difference in a group of men and women disrupting a proceeding and holding up fully armed, trying to stop the certification, peaceful transfer of power. That's an insurrection. I mean, that, that, that's absolutely an insurrection. I remember a disruption of proceeding around the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Don't the Kavanaugh you? hearing, the teachers' union in Wisconsin. Remember Scott Walker, the recall yeah, election? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that you know. People that, are getting, making sure, their voices heard. Disrupting a proceeding. Right. Doing everything you can to disrupt what is going to happen that you oppose. I mean, that, that happens a lot. Now, I don't remember in either of those kicking doors down and busting windows. True. I mean, I, there's got to be some consequence for the people that did that. I agree. And I think most of us agree to that. I think the the, the hardcore Trumpster believes, okay, th- those folks violated the law, and there's some fine or penalty or punishment associated with that. But it's not two years in prison. I mean, it's not inciting an insurrection. Once again, to me, I've always felt that if they were fully armed, if they show up at the Capitol with, with weapons, AR-15s and pistols and, you know, shotguns and rifles, and they basically hunker down and hole up, and they say, you know, we're we're taking over this building. I, I, that 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 to me is another, and they're being treated as if they did that. But regressing your grievances is absolutely constitutional. Kicking doors down and busting windows out in the building you don't own is another thing. And I understand the concept of that's the people's house, but it's not your house. It's the people's house. It has to be treated as such. So if Dave kicks the window down and busts the door down and Josh owns and I own and everybody listening to my voice owns some of that building, he's violated our right. I mean, to me personally, that's the way I've always looked at it. But, 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 but guys, let's not be focused on, on that. I mean, let, let's stay closely focused on the, the prosecution of Donald Trump and how that changes the way American government has operated from from the beginning. I mean, it really and truly, but that, that's the story here. What one political party is willing to do to stop another political party from nominating a candidate it chooses and allowing the people the right to vote for said candidate. I mean, that that's the story here. 
It's not about kicking a door down. It's not about busting a window. It's not about trying to disrupt a proceeding. The, the result of that is the one political party in power, in control of the Department of Justice, are charging the other political party's um, leader with um, trumped up, pun intended, <laughs> charges to try and discourage him from getting reelected president. I mean, that that's that's banana republic. I mean, that, that's really when it gets like, wow, I mean, we're really doing this. Yeah, we're really doing this. One political party is trying to banish the leader of the other political party from the scene. I mean, I, you know, that that's wow. I mean, you know, when you really break it down, and, and sometimes you get kind of desensitized of it. I mean, you really do. When you read story after story after story and you try to understand uh, what the Georgia General Assembly is doing in relation to the governor, in relation to Fonnie Willis, in relation to, you know, what, what's happening in New York, what's happening in, in D.C., what's happening in, uh, in Miami. I mean, sometimes you get so caught up in the details that you lose the big picture. And I think the big picture is a, a political party in power is trying to stop the voters of the other political party from choosing the nominee of their choice. And then I, I still believe that we're going to end up heading here because I think as we, as the left finds out that what they're trying to do isn't working, they got to try something else. And I believe eventually the left and the media, and I'm talking about Democrats and the media, will conspire to try and convince the legislators in Pennsylvania to not allow Donald Trump to be on the ballot. I think that's where we end up. Now, I'm saying that a couple of days after Labor Day, um, over a year from the election. But I believe at some point in time, there will be a, a, a call, and I'm talking about a public outcry of the American political left, to try and convince the folks in Pennsylvania who get to make that decision to disallow Donald Trump from even being on the ballot. And he can't win if he's on the ballot. In Pennsylvania, if he's not on the ballot in Pennsylvania, he has zero chance of winning the presidency. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. Let's do this before we go to our call. And I got to call. I want to play fifty eight seconds, exactly fifty eight seconds of Vivek Ramaswamy. We're talking about January six. We're talking about the um, you know, what it was, what it represented, what the punishment should be or should not be. Um, I mean, this cat is the best we've ever had at a dealing with the media. And I mean that sincerely. Vivek Ramaswamy is uncommonly good at dealing with the media. He's unbelievably articulate. Uh, I told Rev, it takes a lot to freak me out, but a little of his revolutionary talk freaks me out. I mean, I'm normally, yeah, let's go. You know, uh, <laughs> where do I sign up? But when he goes down this, you know, we are in a modern-day revolution and this is not for the meek or mild. I'm like, I might be a little more meek and mild than I thought I was, man. I don't know if I want to be fully on board uh, with this, but let's go. He was on um, Sunday morning with George Stephanopoulos. He of the good hair and of um, of Clinton days gone by. But let's go to um, Ramaswamy. Um, and really and truly, they're trying to pin him down as being, you know, hypocritical on Trump. You know, he said some things about Donald Trump in days. Who has not said things about Donald Trump in days gone by? Trump forces you to say things about him days gone by, but he's um he's arguing a little bit, uh you know the uh, the term felony and what happened on January sixth. Josh, let's get in let's get in cue. Okay, here we go. 
four sets of felony convictions are around the president's actions around January 6th, leading up to January 6th and beyond uh, as well. Uh, back in January 2021, you described President Trump's actions then as abhorrent. What exactly did you find abhorrent about his actions around January 6th? So look, I, that was in response to a Wall Street Journal piece that I wrote days after January 6th, where I said that systematic censorship was the true cause of what happened that day. But that being said, I think the job of a true leader is to reunite this country. I would have handled that situation very differently than Trump did. But I do draw a distinction, George, between bad behavior and illegal behavior. And once we start conflating those two things, I think we're in a long downward slide as a country. So I'm running it wrong because I think our nation badly needs to be reunited. But that does not mean he deserves to be prosecuted for it. Those are two separate well, questions. Two of the four. See, and that, that's what a lot of us believe. I mean, a lot of us believe that January 6th was a, a bad day. I mean, you know, Reb believes that I mm -hmm. believe it. Josh believes. I mean, I wish January 6th had never happened. The main uh, problem I have with January 6th is the impediment it created for the advancement of America first. I think it, to some degree, delegitimized what we believe in and what we're aspirational for government to be. Um, I think it weakened, um, I think it set it back. I mean, I really believe that it was a, um, not just a bad day for the country in general, but a bad day for America first. And I am an America firster, unapologetically an America firster. Um, I'm an always America firster. I'm a most times Trumper. Uh, I'm a most times Vivek Ramaswamy. And I think, you know, what, when he explains himself and, and he says, George, nobody that, that I, and look, I mean, I, there are people I know that defend January 6th. I'm not one. I mean, I don't defend January 6th. I understand how we got there, but, but I do believe there has to be, when we conflate, his word, not mine, when we conflate bad behavior with illegal activity and we overcharge people who do certain things, and that's what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're taking these people and trying to make examples of, don't you ever think about doing this again. And I don't know where that shot's being called from. I mean, it's got to be the White House and DOJ and the body politic in general. But that's what Ramaswamy is saying. There are many of us who believe Trump has some degree of culpability in what happened January 6th. We don't believe it was remotely close to inciting an insurrection. And if it were, Trump would be charged with inciting an insurrection, and he has not been. And that's my biggest concern. If you're going to go after Trump, if you believe he legitimately incited an insurrection, then go after him. I mean, the 14th Amendment speaks directly to that. So, so how do you charge him for RICO offenses in Fulton County where you know he doesn't get a fair shake? I mean, Trump loses Fulton County, what, 80 to 20%? So there's an 80% chance that somebody on that jury is going to have an unfavorable opinion of Donald Trump. And it's RICO charges that were created for investigating the mafia and Fonnie Willis is comfortable doing that. She is a racist, politically motivated prosecutor. Let's call her what she is. I'm sorry. I mean, did that offend some of you? And that's provocative and hyperbolic. I'm sorry. The truth is she is a racist, politically motivated prosecutor going after a former president, current front runner in the Republican party. And that's a dangerous place to find ourselves. I mean, that, that is a powder keg waiting um, to happen. So, so unapologetically do, do I say that. And I think Ramaswamy in the, in the same vein says those sorts of things in the most aggressive way they've ever been said, or I've ever heard them been said 
in, in American politics. Is somebody on the phone? Let's go there. Daphne and Dylan. Morning, Daphne. Good morning, guys. Uh, you know, all those guys involved in going into the Capitol have been held for two years, over two years, without any representation at all. So yesterday, uh, that radical judge in Washington gave 22 years to a guy that was not even in Washington at the time. So you and I know that they're just prosecuting. If you join a, a group and call yourself this, but they don't do it on the other side. Uh, we're talking about Georgia. I think I brought it to your attention that the Willis person is a local prosecutor. I believe that I was the one that brought that to your attention. The next time you're speaking to Jeff, I would like for you to give him an example of what it would be like to be on the other side. Tell him that if Greenville elects Trump and someone in that county decides that Biden won, and they bring a, a lawsuit uh, contesting the, the election, that we're going to put them in jail. We're going to convene a grand jury, put them and all their lawyers in jail. I think he'd understand better if you simplify it for him. So uh, the other thing is in Georgia, I've got family that lives in Georgia, and they are like us with Lindsey Graham. Camp and his AG went into an agreement with Stacey Abrams and bypassed the legislators and uh, agreed to have same-day registration and vote, agreed to the drop boxes, agreed to let the outside money go into the election commission's coffers. Those were the things that Camp and his AG agreed to. His AG has testified at the grand jury against Trump. So that lets you know where they stand. And my family there realized that Camp is either a coward or he is in the camp with the Democrats. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate it. Um, I'll leave the person unnamed, but I got a source that tells me, and they're convinced of this, and they're in the game. I mean, they're, they're pretty influential and in, uh, in Georgia, understand Georgia politics fairly well. I got the, I got to know this person uh, in my days as lieutenant governor, but they believe that Kemp cut a deal with Abrams, and the reason he beat Abrams as bad as he did was to, in other words, if Kemp does not get as involved in the Senate campaigns, remember Walker running against um, Warnock? And I mean, once again, I mean, this gets a little bit chessy, this gets to be 4D chess if you're not careful. But Abram said, I mean, in other words, you want to be governor, be rich. And Abram said, well, I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's somewhat of a chance you become governor. Not a good chance because it's still somewhat of a red state. I mean, there's a slim chance. Slim and Stacey don't go together. But anyway, <laughs> there's a slim chance that you get elected governor. There's a very good chance we can make you wealthy. And Abrams made the, made the deal with Kemp. Kemp did not support Walker very much at all after that um, reported to be meeting. And once again, I don't know if any of that's true, but this guy's normally pretty accurate 
in his um in his understanding of Georgia politics and uh, what he what he told me. And we talked for probably an hour and ten minutes one day, ah, three months ago, four months ago, trying to figure out whether Georgia is red, purple, or blue. Where do we go from here? I mean, he would be a Republican operative in the truest sense, um, but specific to Georgia. Doesn't know much at all about South Carolina. Doesn't know much at all about national. I mean, he's a Georgia hired gun, and he tells me that that Kemp and Abrams made a deal, and it probably cost Walker the Senate race, but Kemp easily beat Abrams in the gubernatorial race, and Abrams rides off into the sunset with a um, a pretty good payday. And uh, so, so anyway, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. He tried to explain it to me. It gets a little bit squirmy and squishy, and he knows those personalities and areas. I mean, he goes through, you know, the, the, the voting of these precincts and these counties and something doesn't add up there, and, you know, all of a sudden Kemp doesn't support Walker like he had been. And, you know, and I don't know if any of that's true or not. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But, uh, but I, you know, and, and I, I've said it before, and, and, you know, I don't I take it back. I mean, I regret saying it, that I thought the most logical choice for Trump to name as his VP was Brian Kemp. Because it put the South on lockdown. I don't stand by that comment. I mean, you got to be smart enough to change your mind. And I think the more I learn and the more appears to be true, the less likely is that um that Brian Kemp is one of us. And, you know, he's a Republican. So he is, you know, by terminology and definition, one of us. I just don't know if he's an America firster. I don't know that if he buys into, um, you know, the other question and the other prominent politician you're going to hear a lot more about as the days come by or as the days go by is Yunkin. I mean, Glenn Yunkin in Virginia. You're going to hear a lot of, you know, um, I, I think there was a period of time we wondered whether Kemp was on board with the America First movement, this recreation within the Republican brand. I think the answer is no. Uh, you know, I believed he was. And, you know, once again, I make mistakes. I say things that I regret. I regret saying that I think Kemp should be at the top of the list. He should not be anywhere near the top of the list. The next name you're going to hear similar to Kemp is Glenn Youngkin. You know, is Youngkin really an America firster? Is Youngkin a reasonable hybrid between, is an electable America firster? I think you're going to hear some of that, some of that sort of talk. Um, is Virginia too blue to turn back red? You know, uh, there's a debate about Virginia being purple. I don't believe Virginia's purple. I think Virginia's blue. I think Northern Virginia government workers, you know, vote overwhelmingly Democrat. Why? Because they work for the government. One party wants to grow government. One party says they don't. You know, it's still, you know, you wonder whether they're telling the truth or not. But the Democrats have no problem in, you know, growing government, putting government charge in more and more aspects of our life. That requires a higher degree of taxation and revenue collection. Um, if you work for the government, and one party says those things publicly, and that's part of their platform. In all honesty, it's self-preservation. I mean, you're not voting based on the Constitution. You're not voting based on, you know, the the, uh, the improvement of education and whether we control our debt or not. I mean, you're voting for, is my paycheck going to be there? And is my pension going to be funded? And this party says, don't worry about it. This other party says some things that may bring, you know, my plight in life into question. I get it. I mean, I certainly understand uh, why they would vote overwhelmingly in favor of the Democrats. Let's go to the phone. Neil and Sumter listening to WDXY. Morning, Neil. Hey, good morning, guys. And as usual, I'm topically completely 180 degrees out from y'all. I'm uh, calling in about the uh, the comment uh, one of your callers had about the roads uh, and the road situation here in the state. Um, you know, 
I mean, is, isn't it true that is Myrtle Beach now the largest metropolitan area in the United States without an interstate going to it? I think you're right. And the fastest growing, the fastest yep. growing per net population growth, uh, MLS in America. And there are going to be big, big problems if, if this state as a whole doesn't get ahead of that. You know, if a, if a hurricane hits that thing and, and they don't have infrastructure to get people out of there, in and out. But just for the, the basic safety of getting in and out of Myrtle Beach, I mean, we as a state owe it to everybody to get an interstate going there. Um, and kind of kind of aligned with that, you know, I feel like the state government's mission at this point uh, and the evolution of our country, a state government's mission is to keep you safe, keep you educated, and maintain the infrastructure. Now, as far as safety goes, you know, public safety, we get to vote for our sheriff. We get to vote for elected officials who – appoint police. We get to vote for elected officials who hire the director of the SLED. So I feel like we have a pretty direct input on safety. We get to vote for a secretary of education. We get to vote for our uh, school boards of education. So we have a direct input on that. But we have pretty much no input on the Department of Transportation. And I would like to see the secretary of transportation Become I because I believe it's not an do we even have one there or the uh, yeah, the governor appoints the governor appoints secretary of transportation yeah and that ought to be elected and what I'd really like to see is have a board of governors uh, maybe aligned with our congressional districts um, and have those have more power over their region because right now I mean I live in Sumter and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names but I have heard frustrations from elected officials they get no input that is a appointed bureaucrat and they do what they want. I mean, it, it is awful. They, they make decisions that are not found out about inside the city or the county until they're already made. And, and like your caller said, the roads going to and from Myrtle Beach are just awful. I mean, we drove back the Southway uh, by Georgetown. You get this beautiful road going up through Andrews, nice four lane, and then all of a sudden it turns into two lanes in Manning. Like what, you know, is there any, is, is there any master planning going on uh, with any of that? And it's, it's pretty darn frustrating. But I think if we put, the, put it back in the hands of the voters, um, it, it might, might help a little bit. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Our number will take a break back in a few. You know, as committed as the left is to what they believe in, they're not morons. I mean, if, if the left was stupid, they wouldn't concern me. I mean, they really and truly would not. If, if the liberal America movement was run by a bunch of idiots and morons, I'd say, well, let idiots and morons be idiots and morons. The sooner left, they'll destroy whatever it is they're trying to create. They're not idiots. They're not morons. I think they're fundamentally wrong. I think in today's world, they're wrong to the point of being dangerous. But I, mean, I think some of the ideology they prescribe to, some of the um, some of the policies they try to advance, I think are dangerous. I mean, I think when you start talking about XY and XX chromosomes, and well, that's not science. Some of the you know gender is different than. And sex, sex is um, sex is scientific, and gender is a spectrum. I mean, I think there's a societal price when we normalize um, that sort of uh, speak. But every now and then, a Democrat will say something publicly, and you go, mm, "Okay, okay, I-, I hear you now." A couple of years back, Bill Maher began saying things like. The left better stop this nonsense with climate change and gender fluidity. They better stop being so sure of themselves about what America believes about climate change. Climate change is complex, right? I mean, abortion's complex. I mean, you know, nobody, I mean, I don't, I don't believe I have the only legitimate answer to climate change. I mean, I think the climate's changing. I have no idea how much man's contributing 
to the changing of the climate. I have no idea what man can do to stop from contributing to the changing of the climate. Am I for new, renewable energies and, and more efficient ways to provide? Yeah, of course I am. Uh, abortion. I have an opinion of abortion, but I'm not arrogant enough to believe that my opinion is the only opinion that deserves consideration. Of course, it's a complicated um, matter. And Bill Maher gave the left warning one day, and he's one of them. I mean, I don't think anybody accuses Maher of being a moron or an idiot. He's a very smart no. man. Um, but but Maher said the left better be careful in trying to argue from a perspective that our opinion is the only opinion that warrants consideration. And and I remember telling Rev that day, Maher's Mars kind of seeing the writing on the wall. Well, Donna Brazil has been around politics a long time. She's been a hired gun for the Democrats and the Clintons in particular for a long time. The Clintons have taken good care of Donna Brazil, and the Donna Brazil's taken very good care of the Clintons. Brazil was on um, Stephanopoulos. She's on this powerhouse roundtable or whatever they call it. Um, these um these fellow liberals. There was a day that they allowed the token conservative to sit at the round table. And, you know, then it was Chris Christie because they know he hates Trump. And that's kind of the requirement. The prerequisite for being on these round tables is hate Trump. Yeah, you know, you got a conservative that hates Trump. You got a liberal that hates Trump. You got a moderate that hates Trump. What do they have in common? They hate Trump. You know, they hate the America first movement. Um, and, and I say movement for a reason because you and I have argued that we sense a political movement, right, Josh? I mean, we're arguing that that you and I feel like today we are in the throes of a political movement. Uh, is it generational realignment? Uh, I think it is. Some disagree. Um, we'll publish a podcast in the next day or so with um, SCGOP chair and co-chair of the National Party, Drew McKissick. He'll be today. Okay, today. Drew and I disagree. Drew does not believe this is a generational realignment. I do. Drew does not believe that the donor and voter are in an asymmetrical relationship in the Republican Party, I do. You know what? I could be wrong. I could very easily be wrong. Drew could be exactly right. In fact, if you were going to trust anybody and you look at the resumes, Drew would be the guy you trust. Kind of a life of, uh, you know, living in the Republican orbit. I am an interloper. I mean, I didn't register to vote last 40. Got, you know, elected, then elected lieutenant governor at 45. I mean, who am I to say I understand you know, everything there is to understand about uh, the Republican Party. But but I sense that there's this generational realignment. I sense that this movement is far more intense than people wanted to originally imagine. I It's not surprising to me that Trump's numbers increase every time he gets indicted. I mean, I'm not surprised. I would be surprised if his numbers didn't increase. But but folks in the mainstream media, they live in these, you know, the, these coastal bubbles they don't they don't understand what people are thinking at the diner in Des Moines or what people are thinking at the ball game in Clemson or, or Columbia. That that's not their world. That's my world. And I am well aware of the energy, the prevailing energy politically that, that Trump brought to the table, and it's not going to dissipate anytime soon. Well, Donna Brazil said something. I'm not sure she got clearance from ABC News, but Brazil's been around it a, a good long time. And uh, Josh, I want to put you in queue because I want to. Th- this is very. It's about uh, fifty-six seconds. It's Donna Brazil, who I hardly ever agree with. She does the Democrats' bidding at every turn, but every now and then, these people will be honest. And when they are honest, you need to highlight it. You ready? Ready. But I have to say something because George, I'm old enough to say this. 
Uh, I've seen two movements outside of the social justice movements in my life on the political side. One was the Reagan movement. Reagan had a hold on his base, the country at large. They saw him as someone who was willing to stand up for American values, whatever that might have meant. Now, I thought it was reactionary. Uh, the other movement I saw was, was Barack Obama, hope and change. That galvanized the American people. I've never seen anything like this with Donald Trump. I mean, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? I mean, being convicted, I mean, being indicted, that's making him stronger, raising $10 million, using an ugly mug shot uh, to raise money. This is a movement. And anyone who thinks that you can apply the old political rules to trying to defeat this candidate based on he's scary, he's ugly, whatever you might want to call him, this is a movement. And we have to respect the fact that it's a movement. You have to respect the fact that this is a movement. This is dog whistle for we got to stop him. I mean, this is Brazil making an admission to a, a, a largely friendly audience. Some of the majority of people who watch Stephanopoulos want to be reinforced. They want to be affirmed. They want to make sure that, that Trump's as bad as they think he is, or they've been told he is, you know, day after day, week after week. But I think it's very interesting when Brazil says, this is unlike any movement I've ever seen. But she did kind of compare him to Obama and Reagan. Well, I mean, we have two. I mean, we, we've yeah. argued that Reagan led a movement. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, she said she believed it was reactionary. I think it was kind of a, uh, a return to conservatism. You know, Reagan was a larger-than-life political figure. Obama, larger-than-life political figure. Trump, larger-than-life uh, political figure. Um, and something was believable about each one of those um, people. Now, now, once again, different universe of voters, no question about it. Reagan had his loyal following. But Obama had his loyal following following trump has his loyal following the difference in trump obama and reagan they were never as chastised and ostracized i mean the reagan revolution was mainstream politics right i mean it was you know limit the 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 scope and size of government um you know i'm from the government and i'm here to help remember the famous line i mean that there's such hypocrisy in that and it was intentional it was sarcasm is what it was. Uh, Obama comes in, hope and change. And, and and Trump comes in and make America great again. And the difference in Trump is nobody went after the Reagan movement. Nobody went after the old, the Obama movement. They decided to come after the Trump movement. That they tried to they tried to drive a wedge between Trump, the political actor figure and his base. And they've been unsuccessful. And I think that's why Brazil says this is unlike anything I've ever seen. How does a guy's numbers improve when he gets indicted? How does a guy raise money on a mugshot? I mean, Trump's got, you got a picture of Trump holding a baby, you know, um, backslapping, campaigning, nothing to see here. You got his mugshot. But historically, you would want to hide that mugshot, make sure that mugshot never sees the light of day. Trump put it on Truth Social. And if he tweeted, he'd put it on his Twitter account. And he raised north of $10 million. And I think Brazil is reluctantly accepting what political reality is. And, you know, Stephanopoulos was trying to like, come on, Donna. I mean, you know, you, you got me nervous over here now. Uh, you know, he's kind of moderating and he's, he's traffic copying uh, the entire debate. And, uh, but I think Brazil just lets you in on reality. She, I sensed this a long time before Donna Brazil said this. I'm not smarter than Brazil. I just, you know, I hang out in places that Brazil probably does not. 
I mean, I go to ball games. I go to races. I talk to regular people. I go to the gym. I hear these things, whether they're spoken to me or not. I was in the locker room one day last week. Um, was not being nosy. Was not trying to eavesdrop. But I heard a conversation between a, an African-American man and a white man. And they were talking about the economy. And it was, it was similar to some of the other conversations. It may be anecdotal, may not be. But there's too much of this happening for me to believe it's anecdotal. And when you look at the polling data, we touched on this a bit this morning uh, because somebody called yesterday and said, please elaborate this theory you have about Trump being the most likely Republican to win. And I stand by that. Now, could Yunkin be better? I don't know. We thought DeSantis was going to give the Republicans a better chance to win. Um, let's look at some of the polling. at the In the Economist YouGov poll, Trump 44, Biden 43, dead heat. I mean, that's a dead heat. In the morning consult poll, Biden 43, Trump 42, dead heat. In the Harris poll, Biden 45, Trump 44, dead heat, right? So you got three polls taken after the, uh, the, uh, after the uh, debate. So, so everything's baked into the cake now, you know. Uh, we, we were told that Ramaswamy had a great night and Christy had a good night and Nikki Haley's going to surge. Well, Haley's the only one that had a bit of an uptick. I think she went from six to eight. Ramaswamy's at about seven, seven or eight, somewhere thereabout. Um, Christie's at two. Pence is at two. Nobody moved much. Trump moved six or seven to begin with down, but then he recovered quickly, uh, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. Oh, yeah, he was not there. Well, you know, I, I wish he had been there. And then the next week, well, he wasn't there, but I don't care. I mean, voters have short memories, to be honest with you. So um, so when you look at, so, so in the three most recent polls, you've got Biden and Trump in a dead heat. And folks, I'll tell you, if Donald Trump is tied with Joe Biden nationally and they don't figure out a way to get him off the ballot in Pennsylvania, he wins the presidency, period. End of game. If Trump's down two or three, it's pretty likely he wins the presidency. I mean, there, there's kind of a, um, a correlation to national polling. It's not a national election, right? I mean, you know that. I know that. Trump's going to get killed in New York by millions of votes, killed in California by millions of votes. It doesn't matter. So the popular vote really does not matter, but there is some correlation of what the polls say about the popular vote nationally and, and what some of these swing states are embedded kind of in the nuances, minutia of these swing states. So you got Trump and Biden in a dead heat. Trump wins. I mean, if the election were tomorrow and these polls are accurate, Trump wins, period. He's the president. Then you've got DeSantis. What have we been told by, by the Republican establishment and the mainstream media? You better you better let Trump be. You better find DeSantis. This guy could win. Um, I've argued uh, he could, but his chances aren't as good as Trump. Trump has a better chance than DeSantis does of beating Joe Biden. Um Biden at 43, DeSantis at 39 of the morning consult. Biden at 45, DeSantis at 40 in the Yahoo poll. Biden at 44, DeSantis at 39 in the Fox News poll. Now, here's the game changer. You ready? If the Democrats decide to dump Biden in early 2024, do you want Donald Trump running against Gavin Newsom? That's when you got to consider, because there's going to be a lot of contrast there. We can't run with he's too old anymore, right? I mean, if, if, you look at, if you look at some of the polling I've looked at, the majority of Americans would rather have somebody younger than Trump or Biden. 
they they believe that Biden, I mean, 73% of Americans believe that Biden's too old. About 58% of Americans believe Trump's too old. The, the long story short, most Americans believe they're both too old to be elected president. So if Gavin Newsom shows up 25 years younger than Trump, that could be problematic. And Newsom's not responsible for a Happy Meal costing $14. I mean, he can argue, hey, give me a chance at all. You know, Biden stubbed his toe and he did some things. Just give me the, the new energy, the new, you know, the new model Republican. I mean, a Democrat, it'd be a little bit like Obama. I mean, he's a white guy and he's privileged, but it'd be a little bit like Obama. Um, you know, hope and change 2.0. And and I think if if the Democrats decide to dump Biden, prediction, they'll be forced to. Right. And, you know, I think the more time goes on, the more this kind of story progresses, I think the more likely that is because I was thinking about it the other day. They waited till the ele- the next election cycle to start indicting Trump. Because I think at the time they thought that was the most advantageous thing to do. You know, they're scheduling him, his court appearances during, during the campaign debates, season, during, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Super Tuesday. So I think it, with that in mind, it's more, more than likely that they will tote Biden for now. And then at the last second, they'll throw in someone much better. What, 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 what will be the reason? Will it be... I mean, obviously, they'll have to come up with some excuse. They'll have to say he's too old, or will this Hunter Biden laptop I mean, stuff but, get? But here's the two incriminating. Here's the, but here's the fork in the road. The bribes, and and here's the fork in the road, and here's where it gets real complicated. And I mean, th- this is where we're. I mean, this is academic exercise in one hundred and one. If you wait until February of twenty twenty four to deem Biden unable to perform the duties of president. I mean, this is out there a little bit. Medical, maybe? Yeah, there you go. Um, You give Kamala Harris a chance to be president. If you just suggest to Biden not to run for re-election, and I don't think you'd have to strongly suggest to Biden not to run. I mean, I think you could convince him, hey, man, uh, you waited a long time. You got your chance. It ain't really worked out. Um, This guy who's being – see, the media portrays this as so Biden's disapprovals are 40 uh, Biden's approvals are 42 his disapprovals are about 59 uh the right track wrong track number 75 67% of Americans believe we're on the right I mean the wrong track so so the liberal media says and he still got a chance to beat Trump you know despite his disapprovals despite the wrong track he still got a chance to beat Trump you know what the story should be Donald Trump's been indicted four times is going to four separate courtrooms and four separate trials, and he's tied with the current president? I mean, the, the, the guy that's been indicted four times that we know, to Josh's point, is going to spend the majority of the campaign season in a courtroom defending him. That's the story. <laughs> I mean, that forget disapproval and, and, and right track, wrong track. I mean, the story is this cat is going to spend <laughs> the entire 2024 election season between debates, campaign events, and courthouses. So either Trump's that good or Biden's that bad. Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, they, they, they both bring a lot of baggage to the table. The, 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 the crazy theory that I've heard, and I don't believe this happens, is they rule, the Democrats collaborate, they decide Biden can't be president, and they dump him before the election. 
and they give Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, a chance to be, you know, president of the United States. Um, she has to run in a primary, a six-month primary, and Gavin Newsom beats her because her as as unfavorable as disliked as Trump and Biden are by the masses, she's less popular. She may be the only breathing American less popular than Joe Biden or Donald Trump. <laughs> and you know that's true. I mean, you're yeah. a Trump voter. Josh, a Trump voter. I'm a Trump voter. We know that he's not wildly popular amongst, you know, average Americans. I, I think a lot of Americans don't like Trump, still vote for him. I mean, I know a lot of people who don't much care for him. They'll still vote for him in a skinny minute uh, that they would vote again for. But but when if you leapfrog Kamala Harris— You've disenfranchised the most loyal voter the Democrats have ever had, and that is the African-American female. So how do you pick an African-American female to be his vice president, but you don't give her the chance to carry the baton, the next leg of the relay? That's the quandary they find themselves in. But but the mainstream media narrative is, you know, Biden's approvals are only 41. The right track, wrong track is at historic levels. And he's still in a dead heat with Donald Trump. Well, don't forget to mention that the guy he's in a dead heat with has four indictments hanging over, hanging over his head. That's the story. The guy that's been indicted four times for criminal offenses is still the odds-on favorite today to be elected president of the good old U.S. of A. Take a break. Back in just a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. You know, you've laid out all these scenarios. You know, Trump wins this, Trump wins that. And the number 77 million, you said yesterday, I think 77 million votes is what you think it will take. I stand by that. I mean, I okay. stand by that number. I think 77 to 78 million votes wins the presidency in 2024. I don't think Biden gets to 80 million. Um, I, you know, if it's Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris, I, I don't know. It's. I guess if I, I mean if somebody had a gun to my head today and said, "Hey, who do you think the Democrat nominee will be in 2024?" I'd probably still say Biden. Who do you think the Republican nominee will be? I'll probably say Trump. But I don't know that that's going to be the case. I mean, I, you know, I think it's less likely today that Biden is the nominee in November of 24 than it is Trump. Really, and and the reason I think there's a little bit of panic on the left, and Donna Brazil says something on Sunday morning, but Donna Brazil has never said that. And what did she say? This is a movement. I mean, this is unlike anything we've ever seen. And she even said, compared to Obama's movement, and and I, I'll genuinely admit that Obama had a movement. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Barack Obama led a political movement. People that believed the nation needed to be transformed bought into that hope and change. I didn't. But, but I don't get to decide elections by myself. The Reagan revolution was a movement, no doubt about it. George W. Bush never uh, portrayed himself as a movement leader. Trump is absolutely a movement leader. And the fact that he's been indicted four times and his support has not declined at all. And, and I go back to the third indictment of the AP poll I read, Rev. The third indictment of the AP poll, he went up one and three-quarter percent with independents. That's when, I mean, that was kind of my aha moment. That's when I was convinced that there is an intense level. We know the universe. We know the always Trumpers, right? I mean, it's a third of the country. Well, it's probably not even a third of the country, probably 25% of the country, a third of the Republican Party. But there are a lot of others who find him acceptable. They're not always Trumpers. They're not always America firsters. But they, they, they find him acceptable. 
And, and you know, when you look at the number 44, 43, 45, I mean, that's kind of where he is in the poll. Um, against Biden, he's in a dead heat. Biden brings a lot of baggage, age and the economy and, and some issues. Trump brings a lot of baggage. No doubt about it. I mean, there, there's no question about it. And I don't see another Republican that could get 77 million votes not named Donald Trump. And I think the, the most recent polling with DeSantis shows that. I mean, DeSantis is at 39, 40, and 39. Trump is at 44, 43, and 44. So he's running five percentage points ahead of Ron DeSantis in the exact same polling companies. So you can't say, well, I mean, they just started to sample. You know, that that's a, a poll paid for by the DeSantis campaign or a poll paid for by the Trump campaign or a poll paid for uh, by the Biden campaign. I think Georgia has cleaned up enough of the improprieties to go red. And I, I think Trump, just my hunch, I think he wins Pennsylvania. And I think winning Pennsylvania, remember what we said, 232 becomes 235 because of reapportionment. Now, now you want to be a little bit encouraging. L- look at 2030 in the census. I mean, it looks to me like red states are going to net gain six. I mean, they gained three, uh, but, but the COVID didn't happen in this. I mean, the COVID has accelerated some of this mass exodus from blue cities in America to red states. The red is getting redder. The blue is getting bluer. But the bluer states are getting smaller. The red states are getting bigger. And the, you know, the Electoral College is going to reflect that shuffling of those delegates. So if you take 235, you add Georgia, that's 251, and then Pennsylvania gets to 270. That, that's, to me, the path Trump has uh, best. I mean, there are other options. you got Wisconsin, Michigan. I mean, I don't think he'll win Michigan. I don't think he'll win Wisconsin. Arizona, Nevada are toss-ups. I, I, you know what? There, there are a lot of uncertainties here. But, but the guy's been indicted four times, and he's as formidable as he's ever been. Trump has never been in a more advantageous position than he is today. Now, how advantageous? You know, that, that's debatable. But he's never been in, in this position in his political career. He's in a dead heat with the Democrat frontrunner and incumbent president, and he's been indicted four times. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff. You're on. Hey, good morning. Boy, you're spending a lot of time on this this morning. Um, it doesn't – you honestly believe, first off, uh, that Joe Biden – What do you believe? What do you believe, Jeff? I'd rather you tell I, me – I'd rather you do what all the other callers do and sure. tell me what you believe. Okay. I, I believe that if you don't think that Joe Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrats, you're burying your head in the sand. They're not changing. They're not going to switch horses. They I hope they to. don't. They don't need to. I hope and pray but, they don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, uh, Gavin Newsom worries me a lot more than Joe Biden. I, look, you can throw any name you want out there, okay? There's not going to be a primary. There's not going to be switching of horses. They don't need to. Unless he dies, he's your he's your Democrat. Okay? <laughs> Slim chance that happens, but yeah. I mean, like and 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 so if you're if you're if you're taking odds in Vegas on Joe Biden is a lock to be the, the nominee for the Democrats or Trump's a lock to be the uh, nominee for the Republicans, Joe Biden's gonna get better odds because there's a chance that Donald Trump gets 
in prison. There's a chance he gets disqualified. There's a chance Republicans come to their senses. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of chances there. The do you agree with that? Sir? I don't. I mean, what what disqualifies him? The, well, I mean, like, look, the Federalist Society, you know, they were your best friend until they came out and said Donald Trump is disqualified himself already. But but how? What, what under what grounds has he disqualified? He's not being charged with insurrection, so he's not in violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. He did not aid in a bad opposition to the country. Okay, he's not being charged for any of that. Have you have you read that Judge Ludic's? paper yes okay and and you see he doesn't need to be every every legal scholar says that trump has i mean there's no doubt there is legal peril in his future there is nothing that disqualifies him from continuing as a candidate for president okay but so you're saying that the federalist society hasn't come out and said he's disqualified be lawrence tribe no not lawrence tribe the, the majority of Federalist opinions I've read have been commentaries by Lawrence Tribe, and Tribe's a never-Trumper. I mean, I would expect okay. him to do MSNBC's bidding. Okay, but you, you keep admitting, uh, omitting the name Judge Ludic. I, 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 I'm is sure there are people, Jeff, there are people out there that believe Trump is going to be disqualified. I just, okay. I've not read a credible opinion by a non-never-Trumper that agrees with that. Andy McCarthy doesn't agree. Um, Jonathan Turley doesn't agree. Um, uh, uh, Alan Greenspan, excuse me, not Alan Green. Alan Dershowitz doesn't agree with any of that. Those are fairly reputable people that have never been accused of um, of being Trumpsters. They've been fairly critical of the president at times, former president, and and been supportive at times. And I think, I, I do believe that Donald Trump has legal, has reason to be concerned about his legal condition or legal situation. I don't think he has any concern at all about being disqualified as a candidate in, uh, for the presidency. Yeah. And, and as far as Donna Brazil goes, like you, everybody sits here and says, well, Bill Barr's just trying to sell a book. Well, um, you know, uh, Mike, Mike Pence is trying to sell a book. Uh, we shouldn't believe these people because they're just doing it for the fame. Chris Christie's just trying to get airtime. But now that Donna Brazil takes a position, and, and again, I don't disagree with what she's saying. I'm not saying Trump's not a movement, but understand all movements aren't good, right? Oh, I mean, of course. I mean, the Obama movement was terrible. Uh, look, I, I mean, didn't vote for him. I mean, it was not awful. <laughs> hey, I'm looking right now. Yeah. The RCP betting averages right now have Trump to win the Republican nomination at 63%. Biden to win the Democrat nomination at 61%. So it's not outlandish to say that Biden, there's a 39% chance that Biden is not uh, the nominee. I mean, that's, if, if it's a 39% chance of rain, I may carry my umbrella. Yeah. And, and you were, you were absolutely right when you said it's a. Say that again, Jeff. What did you just party. say? What did you just say? <laughs> you were absolutely okay. right. Your numbers are right when you say that there's a third of the Republican party that is solid Trump. That's it. And, and if you want to look at why that is, go and look at every election since Roe v. Wade was thrown out. Go look at every election since January 6th. Go look at every election. The, the Republicans on the ground, did you see the RNC put out talking points memos? But, but Jeff, see, saying, and, and if you've listened, well, and I know you listen because you antagonize, yeah. and I like the antagonist. And I mean that sincerely. I love it when you call, and you know I mean that. 
but but I've always argued. I I am one of the few people who say that Trump is not transferable. When, when Trump is He's not on the ballot, you're going to get a different outcome than when he is. Period. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I understand the undercurrent of Trump, and I understand the effect or impact he has. I, I get that. I don't deny that. But it's not directly transferable. He is a political unicorn. And when he's on the ballot, there's a certain response. When he's not, there's a totally different response. But but let me ask you this. Like, you, you say that, but he was on the ballot, and Georgia still went Democrat for the Senate. And, and, I, and I think there were a lot of – you and Very I will late. disagree here. I think there were a yeah. lot of things that happened in Fulton and Gwinnett County that we can't explain. That that's but, where I but land. It but happened I, once. It happened again. But but no no no. Go back. What I, I just said. The second time, Trump's not on the ballot. Right, and he's burning down the Republican. Well, I mean, I, maybe he is. I mean, I don't think he is. I understand that we disagree, and I respectfully disagree with that theory you have. But but the point that a lot of Republicans and Democrats make, or or some of these ancillary races. Look at what happened in Georgia. Look at what happened here. Look at what happened there. I'm not saying Trump is the, you know, he's not going to make the the Republican brand more popular than it ever has been. The point I'm making is he is not a transferable um, commodity. He is unique. You have one set of voters respond a certain way when he's on the ballot. Some of the same voters respond differently when he's not. Right. And so just the, the RNC put out talking points memos the other day and you know what they just advised all candidates nationally to do i don't have a clue stop talking about woke it's not working this transgender uh war that's supposedly happening this uh men in in children's bathrooms isn't working you know this this the party is starting to realize that their messaging, what do you have for messaging? What has the Republican Party done? Well, I, mean, I think what, it, what, in Trump's case, you, you argue what the economy was when he was president and what it is today. I mean, it, it, you're, I, I'll agree with what you just said. If I'm, giving, if I'm giving Republican candidates advice on the campaign trail, stop talking about transgenderism, stop talking about homosexuality, stop talking about abortion, and start talking about $4 gas and $15 Happy Meals. I mean, that, that's where I would focus. Start talking about the permanent expansion of money supply, the $2 trillion deficit that the Democrats will accumulate this year. I wouldn't talk about woke. I wouldn't talk about about transgender, it would be all about Biden's failures as an executive over the economy that that is, you know, it's in disarray. Jeff, we got to take a break. Josh is doing the the break signal, break signal, break signal. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone held on during the break. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. You are on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, first, I want to say, brother, you're out of your league with uh, the Rev right there. He's so uppity, he had to rent a truck to go pick up his mama's up. Uh, you, you can take the fellow out of you know, Ohio, but you can't take the Ohio out of him, right? You're right. You're right. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but you're exactly right. I guess guilty. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, honorary Southern degree is uh, honorary at, uh, at best sometimes. I hear you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave Ken a hard time last time, so i got to give you True. one. But, but let's say but first, uh, the governor of – um, Virginia, a blue, a blue state now, ran 
on beating woke and he won that state. Um, we look, I mean, we can be upset about more than one thing at a time, right, Ken? So, I mean, we can be upset about a hamburger costing uh, $20 at McDonald's the same way I can be that we have teachers right here in Florence, South Carolina, who are members of the National Educators Association, which pushes for children to read children's books that promote little boys becoming little girls and little girls becoming little boys. And if you don't think this is fixing to be a problem right here or may not already be a problem right here in rural South Carolina, uh, you got another thing coming. So I can be upset about both of those things at the same time. We look at who is doing the best other than Trump in the Republican primary, it's Vivek Ramaswamy. Who's talking the most about woke? Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, so to, to end on this, if I am a Republican running for anything, if, whether it's president or whether it's city council, the last people I'm taking advice from is the National Republican Party who got smoked in the primary. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. But but see, and I wish Jim had stayed for a couple of seconds. There is no doubt that Jim and I can have a conversation about a multitude of issues. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He enjoys the debate. I enjoy the debate. We'd agree on some things. We'd probably disagree on on some other things. But but I still go back to the Seinfeld Watcher in Pennsylvania, the Seinfeld Watcher in Wisconsin. How much tolerance or interest do they have? Can you talk to that person about the economy and uh, public education, the economy and transgenderism? I mean, there's no doubt that person has an opinion about all those issues. They're just not as interested in debating or discussing their opinion as Jim and I would be. So, so there's no doubt. And I think that the thing Jim nailed on the head, be careful believing the experts are genuinely the experts. Be careful believing that. Um, I mean, I, I'm highly critical of the expertocracy. So why would I trust, with all due respect to the RNC, why would I trust the RNC to understand what the priority of messaging should be? I mean, don't we, I mean, here on Wake Up Carolina, very often we accuse the RNC of being out of touch. I mean, they thought, you know, that, um, I mean, they, they, they ascribe to what Mitt Romney says and what John McCain said, what Al, you know, I'm not Al Gore, what I'm, uh, uh, George W. Bush. I mean, I'm thinking of recent Republican presidents and nominees we've had. Uh, they told us to be careful with Trump. You know, Jeb Bush was a better alternative. Marco Rubio was much better. Um, the, the only point I'm making, and it goes back to Thigpen's um, comments years ago, don't underestimate the voters' intelligence. Don't overestimate their interest. How interested is the independent voter in Pennsylvania I mean, I think he is unbelievable. I think I, he doesn't have a choice but to be interested in what food is and what gas is and what the you know the price of living is. I mean, he doesn't have any choice. He's got to deal with that every second of every day. Does he have to deal with transgenderism? Does he have to deal with public education and wokeism? I mean, I, you know, once again, I think Glenn Youngkin is a classic example of how to win in a blue state talking about just things. And, and, and Youngkin's a good candidate. I mean, he was a very good candidate and ran a great, great campaign if you want to know the one guy in the most recent election cycles who understood when to get real close to trump and when to get you know a little bit distance between you and trump it was yunkin i mean he was very very skillful and um you know i'm not trump 
I mean, there are some things about, I mean, I remember him saying, I'm not Donald Trump. I mean, you know, don't judge me on what Trump says, but I do believe that Donald Trump nailed it when he said this. And I have questions about why he would have said that. I mean, there was a, but, 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 you know, um, Virginia is a blue state. You've got to go places in a blue state to win as a Republican that you don't have to go in South Carolina or Montana or Wisconsin for that matter. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little bit like, and I'll, I'll, I'll give the RNC a little bit of credit there, you know, trying to enforce the belief that you got to be a different kind of Republican in a different kind of place to be successful and win and win elections. But no, I mean, I don't trust the RNC to understand what the party is today. I mean, I've argued with Drew McKissick week after week with all due respect, and it'll happen again on the podcast. We'll, we'll publish an hour-long podcast with Drew McKissick at about 10 o'clock this morning, and it's very interesting. He's one of the movers and shakers in the Republican National Committee. I believe that we have an asymmetrical relationship between those who have historically called the shots in the party and America first. I mean, I don't think it's just a little bit misaligned. I don't think there's some nuanced disagreements. I think it's a fundamental mis- I think there's a, a kind of an asymmetrical relationship. Drew says not. And, and I think the way Drew explains himself, a little bit of a teaser here for the podcast, Drew says, you know, when I sit down with a, with a donor and ask him to write a check for fifty or $100,000, because he can, and he historically has, it would surprise you how many of those people have a similar belief to where the party needs to go. Now, now I believe there are far more who like the party being a globalist interventionist party. I think it serves them better. I think their interests are more protected. I mean, if you, if you look at, I mean, if you're the CEO of Raytheon and you're politically active, I mean, do you really want kind of an America first agenda that, believes in less military involvement, less military or less American imperialism. Uh, I mean, that, that's just, no, I mean, it's self-preservation 101. I mean, you, you're giving to candidates that you believe promote an agenda that align with your profitability. I get it. I mean, I, I'm not naive to that. I'm not alarmed by that. I'm not really bothered much at all by that. But I think the majority of us believe that the pro-worker consolidation, the pro-worker uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of different factors and factions that, that have kind of uh, coalesced around this America first populist agenda. And I just think it's the way forward. I think the most fruitful plane out there for uh, the Republican party is to align itself with the interest of the American worker. And that, uh, that interest of the American worker is very often going to be at odds with corporate globalist interventionist policies. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning, David. Hey, how y'all doing? Uh, hey, that would be an awesome bumper sticker. Joe Biden, 2024, unless he dies. Uh, wow. Anyway, uh, I think about establishment, Kim. I'll go back to the day when we had 1991. I'm going to turn back. I have the time. 1991, we had Bush versus Clinton. I always remember when Clinton first announced he was going to run, and his name was William Jefferson Clinton, so that might explain Williams and Jeff, uh, their son, and promised me if you ever have a round table, please put them on, on every show. But he actually said he used these words when he started uh, his campaign, Make America Great Again. 
Look it up on YouTube, October 3rd, 1991. But when we talk about establishment, we still have these people. Go back to the Bush, and he was too old back then. That's what they said. Uh, I, I don't know. This this economy that was so bad back in those days, I don't remember them being as bad as this economy. But I really get into Clinton. We're talking about Stephanopoulos and Ramaswamy. I remember when Stephanopoulos was actually on that show that he hosts now back in 1991, and David Brinkley would ask him a question. And what would uh, Stephanopoulos, he would spin. He would spin the question. That's why No Spin Zone came on later on with um, uh, on Fox News. Uh, but think of these names, Carville, Bagawa. You had uh, Ronald Emanuel was part of Clinton's campaign. Uh, David Axelrod, Tim uh, Ron Klain, he came about with Al Gore. So it's amazing we're still living in that establishment world, but I always feel when you think about, and I'll leave it this, when you think about the American public, I remember having a conversation back in those days, and we were talking about Clinton. I said, man, this guy cheats on his wife, smokes dope, he's a draft dodger, and they call him Slick Willie. And the guy said, that's why I like him. And I'll never forget that. So if you want to go back to what appeals to people, you never know. So I'll leave you at that. You have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. Uh, good morning. Great show as always. Uh, I I just wanted to remind you along the lines of what the last several callers have talked about. Uh, we live in a marvelous time. We really do. Uh, you can get uh, you can get COVID and, and they they can cure that COVID right away. Get that fever down. Get the congestion cleared up, and you can go and get Lasix. Uh, you can get Lasix surgery and cure your eyes, and you can have twenty twenty vision. They they can even cure some cancers now. They can cure cancers, but they ain't no cure for stupid. That's just all there is to it. So I I think uh, don't underestimate there, there's a certain number of voters out there that are just absolutely stupid. And I think there's a stupid virus that swept uh, our cities, Chicago and New York and San Francisco, all great cities. I mean, uh, Chicago and New York, they 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 were great cities. I, I I lived up there in New York for a while, and uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. But I wouldn't want to be up there now. Uh, that's just uh, that that's just stupid, and I don't understand what those people think they're doing. They vote Democrat every time. It's like a uh, they're programmed. Uh, I, I don't understand uh, half of Jeff's arguments that they don't uh, have any uh, substance. You just end up calling people names, I'm, and that's uh, just my frustration with it. But we've really got to get on the ball, and we don't do something pretty soon. And, I mean, we need to start work yesterday. Uh, we're going to lose our country. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. I mean, the, the logic that Trump can't win has never made any sense to me. I mean, I just don't understand the logic. I mean, I've, I've never said Trump can't lose. I mean, we are a kind of an equally divided country. They don't really understand how I can stand where I stand, 
And equally, I can't understand how they stand where they stand. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I understand we have very different worldviews and perspectives and, and I guess, values and priorities. I mean, that's, you know, once again, you ready for a real technical explanation? We're a big-ass country with a lot of people who come from a lot of different places. I mean, they, you know, that's just, I mean, we are a, we're as complicated a nation as has ever been. Uh, combine the 335 million people uh, in their life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, some of that, by definition, is going to get extremely complicated. But, but you know, th- there's been a narrative out there since 16 that Trump winning was a fluke. The only person he would have beat is Hillary Clinton because she's so terribly disliked. No, Trump can easily win again in 24. I'm not sure he didn't win in 2020 if it wasn't for COVID. And, and the Zuckerberg, you know, $450 million spent, not, not in political action committee contributions, but, but in actually, you know, building infrastructure within the election commissions. In that, highly that democratic yeah, swing I mean, states. They generated unbelievable turnout percentages in, in Democrat-leaning and heavily Democrat-leaning uh, precincts. So, so the, the, the notion that, you know, your support of Trump is, you know, j- just unlikely to produce positive results. I mean, that, that's absurd. Trump wins coming out of nowhere in 16, but he really didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, if you live in New York, he came out of nowhere. If you live in California, he came out of nowhere. If you got a house in the Hamptons, he came out of nowhere because you had no idea what was kicking in the real world. And you, know, you get 75 million votes in 2020. And, 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 you know, Joe Biden doesn't campaign. Zuckerberg spends a half billion dollars. You know, they flip Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. I mean, it was laser focused on what they did and give the devil his due. I mean, give Zuckerberg credit. It was one of the greatest half billion dollars ever spent in the history. It might've been the greatest investment ever in American politics. And if you got, you know, a hundred billion bucks, what's a half a billion dollars? You sell some Facebook stock and then you give that money to certain people in certain places in the name of voter turnout. But, but d- 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 suggest in any sort of informed way that Trump can't win. I mean, if the, if the election were today, guess who the president would be? I'm pretty comfortable saying this. If the election were today, Donald Trump would win uh, Pennsylvania. He may win Wisconsin. He may win Arizona, Nevada. He'd win Georgia. Uh, if Yunkin gets on board, he would compete better than he did in 16 or 20 in Virginia. I mean, I, I just, I've never understood the logic. And, and I have a lot of Republican friends who say, well, if we support Trump, we're giving the White House to Biden. And then you ask for an explanation. Well, a lot of people don't like Trump. Well, give me some data. I mean, I understand a lot of people don't like Trump. Uh, give me some data that shows Trump can't win. There is none. There is no data out there, trustworthy and dependable, that says Trump can't win. There's a media narrative. I mean, that, that, that there's, you know, uh, I mean, if you go to faculty lounges around the country, I doubt there's a lot of um, MAGA conversations being had. I mean, it's obvious in the newsrooms and editorial boards of the, the media enterprises we've grown to distrust. I mean, but but, but the, the thought or belief that Trump can't win is absurd. It's never been the case. He won in 16. He increased his vote total more than any incumbent president ever has in the most unusual circumstances an American election has ever been conducted under, and he's in a dead heat. 
as the eventual Republican nominee with four indictments hanging around his neck. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, how did the cockroach live through the Ice Age? Hell, I don't know. How did Trump win in 2024? Put that up with the cockroach living through the Ice Age, <laughs> I guess. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Trouble making Tim in Florence. Good morning. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Tim. Hey, I was uh, I was just giving a call in there. Some that will call in that I just wonder when they support Biden, what they're thinking right now. But you take a look, and you, <laughs> if you look at career politicians versus people who have actually run a business, right? Right now, uh, you know, I just read something yesterday, Ken. Costco, the guy, uh, CEO there said a recession is looming. He said because now people are switching to buying canned meats, uh, you know, because they need to have them stocked. You also take a look. Their private label's going up. Why is that? Because it's cheaper than buying, you know, the name brands and all of that sort of stuff. You need, you need a businessman to help run our country at this point, whether it's Trump or whether it's Ramaswamy, and correct me if I'm wrong, however you say his last name, somebody who's actually done business, and if you say, well, they don't know health care, well, they do. They've set up health care plans for their businesses. They're, a career politician's never run a business, never set up health care. Right now, you just take a look around. When you're having to purchase canned meats, right, and, that, and Costco's down in sales but up on private label, they're 18 to $20 billion company typically knows where you're headed based off analytics and data. We're headed in a recession. If we don't get a business person who knows how to generate revenue for people out there in order to be able to take care of their families and pay their bills, we're going to have major problems because we have a substantial issue on what cost of goods are right now. It's a big, big problem. I'll take it off the air. Thank you, Tim. Combine that reality with the balance sheet of the Fed. That's what freaks me out. I mean, Tim just articulated in a very reasonable and understandable way where we are economically. Some of these, some of these um, bits of information that someone like Costco pays close attention to. I mean, you know, you got uh, KJP or the CEO of Costco. I mean, who who do you take at their word? I mean, when we talk about the economy and where it looks like we're headed, do you believe the CEO of Costco or do you believe KJP? I'm kind of siding. And then you look at the balance sheet of the Fed. That's what freaks me out. I mean, that really and truly, uh, when I think about, you know, um, the decisions that I have to make economically, it, it concerns me. And and I, I worry about the future. I mean, I, I just, I genuinely worry about our inability to restrain ourselves fiscally. I mean, we've just never been able to say, no, we can't do this. No, you can't have that. Print money, print money, print money, spend money, spend money, spend money. And just hope that lucky leprechaun shows up one of these days. Take a break. Back in a few. Visit HarrisPestControlInc.com. That's HarrisPestControlInc.com. It's time now for the Wake Up Carolina Winer Line. Brought to you by Delta Building Systems. Call 803-720-5260. So, what are you whining about today? Good morning, Ken. I was listening to... Donald Trump complained about how um, this arrest, which rightfully so he should be complaining about this arrest was um, crazy and stuff, but he keeps talking about how the election was rigged and um, stolen and stuff, but he's not quoting any specific events that have been proven. I know it's past the statute of limitations. We can't undo 
this crazy election, which we should be able to do if we find fraud and stuff, but there are countless cases out there where stuff was done wrong, and it's been proven. States have admitted that they got this wrong and they got that wrong. Why is he not um, bullet-pointing those? Bam, 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 bam. I just think he's done a lousy job of that. I mean, I think he has done a terrible job. I think his legal team did him a disservice in the way they defended some of the things he said. I mean, the election is stolen. The election was rigged. Or the election was rigged. The election was stolen. Okay? I'm waiting. I'm waiting with bated breath. You just made a big accusation, sir. The election for president of the United States was stolen. Where where do we go from there? And there had to be a set of data. And there never was. And the next thing you know, Sidney Powell is saying something about the Nicaraguan government and Tucker Carlson saying, Sidney, you can't come on this show again unless you have some sort of credible evidence. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence. There are some consistent themes here. But Trump, for whatever reason, never went there. I'll tell you what I would have done. You ready? I would have hired Bill Doyle. And I'd have paid him a lot of money. And I said, put me together, kind of a production. Because Doyle did the deep dive. I mean, he's a, kind of an analytics guy. Doyle did the deep dive and, 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 and you know, c- kind of show these statistical anomalies. And, and remember, we talked about what was the algorithm. Remember, Josh, you knew a little bit about it. Uh, Base you know, theory. Yeah, the, 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 the theory that these are, you know, there's a Category 4 hurricane 60 miles off Charleston, and it hits Ireland. I mean, that, that, that's possible, but it's highly unlikely. They never did that. And it was frustrating. I think I did more of it than people on the Trump legal team. I mean, I sat down and, and Rev knows this. I mean, Josh, you weren't here. There was a day that we sat behind this microphone. I read the minutes of a Fulton County Election Commission meeting where they accepted the Center for Tech and Civic Life grant. Why? If, I mean, if, if I'm doing that, why can't Trump's legal team be prepared to offer that up as kind of an explanation, but he never did it. And, and you know, was the election, I would have never said the election's rigged, the election was stolen. What, what I would have said is there are so many inconsistencies here, it's hard to believe the American public trust the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Trust would have been my word. The American people have to trust their elections. There's a lot of reasons not to trust what happened in, in 2020. He did a horrible job in, in, in making the claim they did an even worse job of, of making the legal arguments. And, you know, whether they got paid or not, you know, I don't have any idea. And remember, I guess the low point was, remember Rudy had the hair dye running down his face? Yeah. And I'm like, That was Man. pretty bad. I'm like, the wheels have really come off this thing. Um, anyway, uh, th- there was a story to be told. They just sucked at telling it. America has crony capitalism. Whenever you cover all the the check boxes with the white race, as far as the the politicians, the uh, judges, the chief of police, the mayor, the governors, all of that, all of the positions of power in America, and then you say, okay, anybody can uh, become this. It's too late then. That's called crony capitalism. Whenever you uh, own all of the resources, and now you're saying that it's open to everybody. He's making a point about race and crony capitalism. I don't know if they play into one another. I mean, I don't know that crony capitalism and and race are 
one and the same. I believe that crony capitalism is fundamental to the American political system. I, I think that America has issues of racism. I don't think we're a racist nation. I mean, if America were a racist nation, how does a African-American that represents 13% of the population get elected president? I mean, I, you know, and reelected. I mean, it's not like white people made a mistake and voted for the guy that didn't know he's black, then came back the next time and said, I ain't vote for that black. I mean, no, they voted for the black guy once, and then they voted for the black guy again. So to say America's fundamentally racist at its core, I just don't buy that. No question. There are racial issues and racial overtones in America. Um, but they're separate of the the kind of the corporate uh, cronyism that he's talking about. I am more concerned about crony capitalism in politics than I am in racism. I could care less what color someone is as long as they do the job. I could care less what gender someone is as long as they do uh, the job. I'm kind of for a meritocracy. If you're good at it, you know, have at it. If you're not, find something else to do. Um, black, white, red, green, yellow, Jewish, Christian, uh, it doesn't matter to me. I've never got caught up in in any of that. Now, crony capitalism is a different animal. People pay to have access to the government, and they get too much access. Morning, fellas. Dan Jay down here in Savannah, just listening to you, and I wanted to uh, affirm that yeah, I wasn't a real believer in this uh, rising oceans, but I can give you a factual account. In North Charleston, I was working about three, four years ago for Palmetto Rail. Part of that was to raise the rail bridge across Noisette Creek, just uh, there off Cooper River. And we raised that at home about 18, 20 inches. It was because when the uh, storm surge or uh, tide came in, it would work as a dam. They had to change that. So, yeah, the oceans are going up, but um, I'm not sold that uh, people are not taking advantage of that situation for their own benefit. I'm sure they are. People historically have done that, believe it or not. I am as big a believer as anybody in the world that climate change is real. I am the biggest skeptic you could imagine in believing that man understands to what degree and to what extent we're contributing to what, what I still consider to be the cyclical nature of climate. And, and I'm even more um, concerned about the arrogance of man to believe he knows exactly what to do to stop us from affecting it in whatever way they believe we're affecting it. I mean, that's, I mean, it really and truly, and, and you know, we, we've said this on the air before, it goes back to the God complex. I mean, if you accept that there's a God in heaven, I do, then you realize man is not top of the food chain, and there are certain things we don't understand about God's infinite wisdom, his creation, his divine creation. If you don't believe in God, then you believe that, that human knowledge can understand every nuance of the universe everything there is to know about climate and the climate change and the rising oceans and whatnot, I just fall in the former camp that there's a God in heaven. I'm not him. There's some things I understand. There's some things I don't understand, but making a decision to decarbonize the largest economy on the planet because Al Gore and John Kerry think they know what's contributing to the rising oceans and the increase in temperature. And they know what to do to stop it from happening I ain't on that team.
You've been listening to the Wake Up Carolina Winer Line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. You got something you want to whine about? Call anytime, 803-720-5260. It's the official and the original Wake Up Carolina Winer Line. Just to show you we have a kinder, gentler side, we have Beverly McKee with us. She's with Cooks for Christ. Hadn't been with us in a good while. How are you, ma'am? I'm just great. How are you? So we, um... I wish we were talking about Gamecocks and Tigers. You don't want to talk about Tigers, and I don't want to talk about the Gamecocks. So, <laughs> and I certainly, today. but I mean, you know, but but perspective is something I've always tried to keep in mind. And um, as lousy as my Gamecocks played, as lousy as your Tigers played, I doubt the parents of an eight-year-old dealing with my or cardiomyopathy are much worried about either or. Um, it's always troubling to see you come in with a certain situation it's even more troubling when that person is eight years old tell us a little bit about tristan prosser and how you guys are involved okay all right well we're having a benefit for tristan next thursday she's eight years old and she's from johnsonville and two days before her second birthday she was diagnosed with heart failure and dilated cardiomyopathy and they were told that she would need a heart transplant to survive so in August of that year, she returned home with an IV pump, and in December of 2017, she was blessed to receive a new heart. However, in 2021, she went for her annual heart cath, and they discovered she had fluid around her heart, and she was actually rejecting the heart. So since then, she's been, re- been receiving IV, IG infusions, and they do that at home every week. The rejection has improved but she is still keeping a high level of donor-specific antibodies. And because of this, she undergoes frequent blood work, heart caps, and biopsies. So we're raising money for the family to help with medical bills and travel expenses. Because life gets extremely complicated oh my goodness, when something like this happens. And it requires money to keep the family in good standing. you got travel expenses, medical bills, and the likes. Um, i got to believe that this is... You're going to tell me in a second the West Florence Fire Station uh, is where you're having a benefit. So let's mm-hmm. walk through uh, what day, what time, where, and uh, and invite the public. Okay. All right. So the benefit will be next Thursday, which is the 14th, and we'll be serving um, all day from 11 to 6. We're not breaking for lunch. Plates are $10 each, and there's still time to have plates delivered. The deadline for that is next Tuesday. So you can call me at 843-229-0348, and I'll take your order. Or you can go on our Facebook page, and I've got the pages posted there. What about volunteers? I know you're always looking for volunteers. We are looking for volunteers for prep day, which is that Tuesday. And for that Thursday, we need drivers, and uh, we also need baked goods, too. We're having a bake sale. And um, so if you come and volunteer, we'll put you to work. So the meals will be from 11 to 6. There was a time you did it like twice a day. Like you didn't do it certain hours, yeah, but you're yeah. doing it all through the day now from 11 in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. Does that include the bake sale? You yeah, go- yeah, yeah. We used to break for lunch, but we just work straight through now. And we used to work till 7, but, we, you know, we're getting old, so we're stopping at <laughs> 6. <laughs> okay, and once again, if you want um, seven or more plates delivered, when is the deadline, and, and, and what's the number to call? Okay, the deadline is next Tuesday, the 12th, at 5 o'clock, because we'll start routing that night. We'll route all day Wednesday. And um, so to get your order in, just call me at 843-229-0348. We'll deliver for seven plates or more. Okay. 
Thank you, ma'am. That is Thank next you. Thursday, September 14, West Florence Fire Station. And this is about the time Rev says, you won't believe how efficient they are. Oh, so efficient. I mean, you can just <laughs> on the way home for your dinner or at lunchtime too, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have as many lanes as you need to efficiently get all that traffic through. They, they take your money, pull up, they give you your order, and away you go. Well, I got involved in one of these for a family member. My, my wife had a family member uh, that, that needed help, and Cooks for Christ stepped up and helped. And it amazed me how much goes into one of these things. I mean, you know, I mean, in my world, you just show up and hope it works. And in, in, in Beverly, in those world, you don't do that. I mean, that's not the way. There's meeting after meeting after meeting to make sure. And, and I think you'll agree. People have been un, been unbelievably supportive of what you guys have tried. What oh, is yeah. the most people you've ever fed uh, at one time? Uh, 9,200 people. 10,000 people. <laughs> wow. Nearly 10,000 people. Yeah, we're planning for over 5,000. That would be time. normal, five to six or somewhere or somewhere there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it could be more than that. We don't know, but we'll be prepared. We'll go out and rebuy and recook, and we'll get it done. And, Rev, I'll tell you the one thing. I'll, I'll kind of let you in on our world. Mine and Beverly, because we're old hands at this now. Okay. The family gets real involved. I mean, they, they don't just say, hey, family, you sit over there. We'll take care of everything. You require and demand of the family to be involved because they have a hand in seeing how successful or not it's going to be. Oh, yeah, the family's got to be involved because, you know, you're likely, let's just say, you know, Dave approaches me and asks me to buy chicken bomb from him. Well, I like Dave a lot, and I'm going to buy from him. But they, Beverly McKee approaches, and they don't know me. It's, hmm, I don't know. So, yeah, they have to be very involved. The investment of, um, of the family is always and a big deal. By the way, not only is it extremely efficient and easy to get in and out and get your meals, but... The chicken bog is always so great. I mean, it's consistently great and hot. I mean, it's just been perfect. I've never had it where it wasn't just top-notch. It's really good. No question about it. So tomorrow we have, um, I mean, we've worked on a kind of a star-studded cast here. We're we're lining it up. And you and I. Um, But (laughs) we, uh, I reached out to attorney. Remember Patrick McLaughlin came on a good bit during our Murdoch uh, inquiries, trying to understand better. There's a story now about a clerk jury tampering the clerk may or may not have advised some of the members of the jury how to proceed and lawyers you know or lawyers for murdoch are arguing that he didn't get a fair trial because of the tampering i don't want to misspeak because i'm not an attorney i don't know what you can do and can't do but if some of these accusations are founded Murdoch probably deserves a new trial. Now, no one's going. I don't know if they're founded or not, but Patrick will come in tomorrow night at eight thirty and try to explain from a legal perspective uh, what steps have to be taken. I think Hart Putlian and Alec Murdoch's other attorney—I can't think of his name. But I just know Dick from being in the Senate. But his other um, attorney are talking about what the clerk did. Uh, I mean, obviously they use words like outrageous and you know a grievance, a you know a, a sin against man and you know, an assault on justice, and you would expect that from oh, yeah. from uh, from lawyers. But uh, Patrick will be with us at 8.30 to explain, uh, I guess, in legal terminology what it is that happened or what, what they're being accused of. You said something to say. So the clerk wrote a book. That's the story. And That's it, scary to begin yeah, with. The, I mean, the clerk wrote a book that was coming out in August, 
and apparently it was her role with some of the jurors that are in question. There's some affidavits. Again, I just have heard it on the surface, this story, but there's enough there that obviously the she lawyers She needed are, a quick verdict for the book to get. I don't, I mean, that, that's. That's kind of what I heard. That's alarming. I it mean, that, you know, that that's, that's interesting and alarming. But anyway, I don't want to go too far down that road. I did see, remember Will Fawkes did, you know, c- kind of made his name doing that. I mean, he sure game, he's always been somewhat of a niche performer in our world so to speak what i'll call alternate media but um i think we're all alternate now there's no mainstream media <laughs> any longer we're all doing the best we can to fight for our market share but patrick will come on at 8 30 tomorrow and um kind of specifically address some of the accusations being made and what he thinks legally will transpire in the uh in the events after this accusation um we've got john uh decker, decker at about 7 25 ish or so yep. We've got Drew McKissick, I think, will be with us at um, 805 SCGOP chair and co-chair of the National Party. And Drew will be on a podcast, an hour-long podcast. Rev will drop it, publish it, whatever you want to call it, uh, at 10 o'clock this morning. Right about now. And um, we got a bit argumentative. We didn't get, you know, tested with one another, but we got a little bit argumentative about this um, this asymmetrical relationship that I think the the voting base of the Republican Party has with those who have paid the bills for many, many years many years um they want what they want the voters want what they want and as long as they kind of sort of want the same thing the trains run on time when they appear to want something a little bit different it gets political imagine that imagine politics politics getting political enjoy your day we'll talk tomorrow